You have arrived. Do not adjust your monitor. Make sure your tinfoil hat is shiny. Lock your doors. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting, lie down. If you're driving, please pull over. Swipe and share. Curse and comment. Open debate. Trolls welcome. Resist or mega. Left or right. Darkness or light. Flight or fight. Political turmoil. Innuendo. Lies. Deception. Rhetoric. Fake news. AI. Extremism. Lucifer. And laughs. Welcome to. The. Daily. Boogie. Good evening. Good evening. Hello. Hope you're all doing well. Welcome to another Thursday night, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. What an absolute pleasure to see you all. Settle in, grab your favorite drink, grab your favorite beverage. It's time to relax. CAG TV is in the house. I have no idea who CAG TV is. <laughs> CAG TV, the man, the mystery. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Nobody ever goes in and nobody ever comes out. Sin Soak, Donna Laney, hello. Larry Norris Jr., thanks for joining us. Puddle Mama, thanks for joining us. Poppy Lane doesn't like the trolls. Poppy Lane says, fuck off, trolls. No, we welcome the trolls. We need the trolls. It's important It's important to engage with our trolling brothers and sisters because it's, if, we can, if we can, you know, bring the trolls onto our side, if we can recruit the trolls, then who's to say what kind of magic we may successfully achieve in the future? I mean, you know, I, I would imagine most of the audience here are Donald Trump supporters, how can you how can you be against trolling if you love Donald Trump? <laughs> so of course we welcome the trolls here. We may we may unearth the next Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen. I'm always on the lookout for the next whatever. Angie Cade over on YouTube, thanks for joining us. True, but they are so exhausting. Well, you gotta to toughen up, Angie. You know, no disrespect, but you gotta drink a cup of cement and harden the fuck up, babe. You know, you've got to outlast the trolls. You've got to build up your tolerance to the trolls. Then you welcome them. Trump is the, a Class A troll. Kimmy, thanks for joining us. Kicked herself out before she could respond to everyone, so hello. Laurie, thanks for joining us. Carter. Stefan Sears. Big day for Stefan Sears. And and Zero's away. Cag TV. He's away. He's trolling. He, <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> Just arriving over in YouTube, Donna, thanks for joining us. 
It's an absolute pleasure. Lady Fritter, good to see you. Millie, Laurie. Who else have we got here? Celeste. Joe Pappas. Ducks Regionus. The lovely Lynn. Butterfly Wings. Mary Kay. It's all happening. So... Thanks to everyone who engaged. First of all, thanks to everyone who engaged, who sent stuff through on the Twitter. I know on the Twitter, it's normally, you know, <clears throat> it is a free-for-all, but I, I, I did want to constrict the amount of political material we're doing. Simply because if you've been watching the political news for the last week, ladies and gentlemen, the unmistakable scent of death has filled our nostrils to the point of nauseation. Would you agree? Just death and horrible walking, creeping death all around us. And then, of course, there was the funeral of George W. Bush, which just like added on top of it. But of course, when I'm talking about the scent of death filling our nostrils, I am, of course, talking about Robert Mueller, the the Vietnam killing machine, ladies and gentlemen, who is on the warpath. Actually, if maybe it's a bit, I don't know. Tell me what you think. But I, maybe it's a bit easier for me because I'm a bit more detached than you guys over in the States. But when I watch, I see, I pay so much attention to what's happening in America because arguably what happens in America in your political system affects us more than what happens in our own political system because we are in the sphere of influence of the United States. And, you know, God bless it. May that long continue, because I don't want to become a province of China anytime soon. So you kind of have to be pretty good. You have, to, you have to maintain a level of strength here, just so, you know, the 25 million of us in Australia can stand on the northernmost beaches of our country and give the finger to the Chinese ships as they're coming, you know. <laughs> Fuck you. And then when we start a fight, we'll go, America, don't pick on us. We've got a big brother. Got a big brother. Maybe it's not a big brother. Maybe it's more of a junk, uh, drunk uncle. It certainly was when W was in charge. Like, don't fuck with us or we'll get our drunk uncle on the way. <laughs> W's like, watch this drive. Watch this drive, you Chinese bastard. Don't fuck around with our little mates. Mm. As usual, it is hot as a motherfucker in this studio. But so as I'm watching, eat a Tootsie Roll boogie, says Lady Fritzer. I will. I will. I will eat a Tootsie Roll in the next week. Nova Moon, thanks for joining us. Yes, we are controlling you, boogie. (laughs) You are the puppet. I am the puppet. You are the master. Pulling on my strings. Yanking me in from one direction to the next. It's a very pleasurable, pleasurable experience, actually, I must admit. Being yanked by Nova Moon all the way from the United States. Who would have thunk it? Technology is a marvelous thing. But so, like I was saying, and so for the last week, Mueller, 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 Mueller. If you step back and take some kind, you know, if you, I know it's difficult, but try to detach yourself from the emotion of the situation that you're in. If you are a hardened Democrat, liberal supporter, you, you believe in your heart of hearts that this guy, this president, this usurper, this pig, this illegitimate, unauthorized heir to the throne, ladies and gentlemen, has no right to be there. He is Putin's cock holster. 
He needs to be dragged out by his ear. He needs to have tomatoes thrown at him as he jiggles his man boobs on the back of a horse cart through the main town square over the cobblestones, you see, because very bumpy, very bumpy. And the peasants would get out there and hurl their rotten tomatoes at him. This is what you believe. This is what you want. And Mueller, like heroin, every now and then it just gets injected into your system. Maybe not heroin. Let's try to remain historically accurate here. If we're talking peasants throwing tomatoes in the town square, let's say opium. So Mueller is your opium. When you start to get a little bit edgy, when you start to get a little bit frayed, when you feel the faith draining from you, the Mueller opium pipe is passed around the room. It's a very small room. There's puppies in there. There's crayons. There's Play-Doh. It's a very safe space, this, this opium den. This opium den for the leaders of tomorrow. And the pipe is passed around, and you get your hit of Mueller. Ah, <sighs> oh, indictments are coming. It's okay. It's okay. This Russian prick, he's going to jail. Manafort's in jail. General Flynn, he's guilty. Look at the redacted. He's cooperating. It's okay. It's okay. And then somebody would play like some smooth jazz or say Cypress Hill. I don't know what the peasant version of Cypress Hill would be. Insane in the cornfield, maybe. Insane in the granary. Mm. Insane in the pig farm. Something. I don't know. I'm not sure. But if you're watching like CNN, MSNBC, this is the story of the day. Indictments are coming, indictments are coming. But if you take a step back and look at alternative media, the same story kind of applies here. It's just that the indictments are coming, but they're coming from the opposite direction. Oh, no, 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 no. It's true. There are indictments coming, but it's going to be the Clinton Foundation. It's going to be Barack Obama. It's going to be all of the guys in the FBI and the CIA. They're all going to get indicted. Now, I don't know. Is your drug opium or is it something else? I'm not sure. But when it gets when it gets a little bit edgy, another bit of stimulus gets inject, injected into the alternative media landscape and then all of a sudden it's fine. And, you know, I don't even want to get into a discussion or a debate about who's getting indicted or where the indictments are coming from, who's going to prison, who's not, that will all play out. I mean, I'm happy to take bets. I'd love to take bets. I am a gambling man. So who has the servers? Good question. Which ones? But you see my point, right? The, the the two competing stories are actually, it's neck and neck in the Kentucky Derby right now. There is a race going on. And this is, oh, thank you. Celeste says, at the moment, our drug is boogie. Well, unfortunately, you're going to, you're going to have a terrible hangover. <laughs> you're going to have an absolutely stinking hangover. I'm not so good the morning after, I'll have you know. I'll usually escape in the middle of the night, climb out a window. You wouldn't even know I was there. That's the way I like it. I don't want to be remembered. But, 
you know, we've we've spoken about this concept before, haven't we, of if you're trying to win public opinion, if you're trying to maintain momentum, if you're trying to prosecute a narrative in the public space in order to aid your your political aims, your activist aims, your private industry aims, your business, whatever your whatever your aims are, if you're trying to you know, build a wave of emotion and belief and support in the public, then it really becomes an act of salesmanship, whether we like to admit it or not. Arguably, this is how Donald Trump won the presidency in the first place, ladies and gentlemen. He was a better salesman than Hillary Clinton was. And it's not very hard to, not very hard to do. Where's your bolt hole, Boogie? Asking for a friend. I won't tell you where my bolt hole is, but I will let you take to me with a spanner if that's what you're into. You know, we can get a little bit freaky. That's fine. We can get a little bit freaky. If you want to go, if you want to get into my bolt hole, here's a shifter. Now, have at it, son. Bring some grease. Bring some grease. Let's not do this dry. So it becomes an act of selling selling the point and if like i said if you detach yourself from the emotional investment that you may have in one side or the other you'll see that these two selling points are actually neck and neck racing for the finish line and it's in the same country you know you know arguably they're all americans but on one side, indictments are coming and the whole Trump administration is going down. And on the other side, indictments are coming and the Clintons and the Obamas and the evildoers within the intelligence community, they're the ones that are going down. And we can have, you know, these intellectual discussions about why it's going to be one particular side over the other side, why this particular person is going to go down and not that particular person, where the lies are, where the truth is. Where the manipulations are. Chris Mack has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Follow Chris Mack. Always a great show. We can do all that, but I guess, unfortunately, at the end, there's only one way to find out. Results. Slapping that paperwork down on the table. There it is. There's your indictment. Then we'll know for sure. For sure. We'll see Stop Incumbency, thanks for joining us, saying, you know, there's panic, like who looked worried. You know, just looking at the George W. Bush funeral, I didn't watch it. You can't prove a friggin' lie, says Steve the Bro. Light to dark, says their dad. I was watching the um, highlights. Is that a bad word to use about a funeral? <laughs> highlights? Coming up after six, the Bush funeral highlights. It's like, what? <laughs> but I was, watching, I was watching the highlights. I was watching the clips of the Bush funeral. And something came to me like, roll the credits, says PR Stevens. You're done. You're out of here. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> something occurred to me like, All of these politicians, you might like certain politicians, you might hate certain politicians, but can you imagine, like, if you went to a funeral where the camera's like, think of of the time we're living in now. See, I stand by this. 
if I could, I would. If I had a single button to blow up every mobile phone camera on earth with one press, I would absolutely not hesitate and press it. I think I think even though like I get some enjoyment and some you know day-to-day uh fulfillment out of, you know, the whole camera phone and social media and posting videos and stuff, I would substitute all of that to eliminate the camera phone from earth forever. And because if you think think about the intrusive nature of the society that it's creating. Now, these politicians like them or hate them, I probably hate more of them than you do. So just bear that in mind. And I'm not going into bat for the politicians. I'm not going, oh, the poor politicians. Oh, it's so horrible. You know, I'm not doing that at all. But I am, you know, observing this trend in society, which I don't particularly like. It's a funeral. And all of these people know. It's not a suspicion. Like, it's not maybe somebody hiding in the corner with a camera. All of these people know that every facial expression they make, every move they make, every time they scratch their nose, every time they look up, every time they look down, every time they look to the person to the side of them, look to the other person at the side, if they don't make an appropriately sad face when something is said, all of the above is going to be shot, uploaded, and then argued over. For days on end. Well, if you look at the body language here of Hillary Clinton, it looks to me like she is harboring deep resentment towards everybody in the room. And it's like, well, maybe it could look that way. Maybe it kind of looks like an old lady who's uncomfortable in a chair that she's been sitting in for an hour as well. Well, if you look at Donald Trump here, did you see how he gave the side eye to Obama? He's saying to Barack Obama, you're going down, brother. It's like, well, maybe you can take it out of that. But we are freeze framing people's facial expressions at a funeral and zooming in and like trying to extract some deeper meanings out of this shit. I mean, it's a funeral. (laughs) And it's not even the funeral. It's not even the setting that makes it weird. It's the fact that we are now in a time where this is totally normal and okay and expected to to zoom those cameras in. I mean, some guy looks at his phone for a split second and from that, looking at the phone for a split second, people are now ascertaining that he's been, he has been sent a, a certain picture and this certain picture represents this and this is happening and these things are happening. It's like... I'm, so, I, I'm sorry. I, me personally, it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to, you don't have to listen to me. And my opinion is irrelevant anyway. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not. But me personally, before I read too much into it, I'm going to need more than reading some guy's facial expression at a funeral. <laughs> like, is that wrong? Am I crazy? I don't know. Am I the crazy one here? Maybe it's just me. I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm seeing it more and more and more, this kind of thing. Like, there was, can I tell you something, too? There was something that really annoyed me at the funeral. Um, George W. Bush, too late, Boogs. Vegas had odds on how many Twitches HRC made at the funeral. <laughs> was there a cough? Was there a pool on the cough? Now, see, if, if she coughs, that's got to be at least two to one. Like, that's very short, the coughing. Passing out, I would put at least 50 to one, 100 to one. 
But I think a Hillary Clinton cough during the funeral, how long did it go for? Like 436 hours, something like that? Something around that. If she coughs during that time frame, that's that's very short money there. You're basically paying the bookie at that point. But, so I was watching the funeral. Well, like I said, the hi- the highlights. Tune in after six for the funeral top ten. We convene an expert panel to discuss the facial expressions of the people who went to the funeral. Sorry, I've got a sock drawer to rearrange. I'll come back later. I'll record it and I'll watch it later. How about that? So I'm watching the funeral, the highlights, and George W. Bush gives his eulogy, and it was a nice eulogy. I thought he did it very well. There were some jokes thrown in there. I always like jokes in a eulogy. You know, lighten the mood. Tough crowd, right? Very difficult to get a laugh out of it. I mean, if you're it, let's let's not under <laughs> let's not underrate the talent of George W. Bush. His detractors would say, "Oh, he's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing." If you can get a laugh out of a funeral crowd, you've got skills. Like this guy has skills to pay the damn bills. I mean, no comedian would ever take that gig. Yeah, we want to come out. We want to. We want you to come out and tell a few jokes. Oh, okay, where is it? At a funeral? Ah, I don't know. People are crying. They're distraught. They're going through all kinds of emotional turmoil. And he comes out. He's doing lines. I thought it was utterly fantastic. Good on him. I'd love to sit down and have a beer with George W. Bush. But the thing I didn't like was at the end, uh, he got a round of applause. I thought that was a big social faux pas, giving a round of applause at a funeral. I thought that was something that's not done. And I floated the idea in the trust and verify room, like, hey, do you guys clap at funerals now? Is that? I thought that was a bad thing. And, you know, most people said, no, no, you don't clap at a funeral. But other people said, well, it was a different kind of occasion, you know. It wasn't a stereotypical funeral, which I agree with, because the cameras are zooming in, counting the pimples on people's faces. So people in alternative media can discuss it for the next two fucking weeks like it matters. Oh, look, look at this guy. He was looking out the corner of his eye at this other guy. Look who's sitting behind him. It's like, oh, God. Look who's in the casket. That's, you know what? Can we just get a camera on the casket? If George H.W. Bush sits up during the funeral and says, what the hell is going on here? That's a story. I want to see the facial expressions then on the people. That's when I want to see who's who's looking at who. Holy shit! Did you see that? Now, now we could talk about facial expressions. That would be fantastic. Yeah, see, don't clap at funerals. Americans are an uncouth bunch, says PR Stevens. But then I was thinking about it, like, so why would... Um, People be clapping at a funeral if it's bad, but then it occurred, like it dawned on me the reality of the, the ridiculous reality of this, you know, of this charade. The politicians know that everything that they are doing in this room at this time is going to be heavily scrutinized, recorded, uploaded, talked about, pulled apart, dissected, commented on endlessly. Every look, every comment, every breath, every move, every gesture, every handshake, every non-handshake, whatever. It's all going to be torn up and put out there and spread around. It's crazy. Like, imagine just trying to function normally in that environment, knowing that that's the environment that you're functioning in. So my theory is, right, 
one some person thank you for the super heart mate. One person started clapping, possibly because they're an idiot. We go, oh, bravo! Bravo! I think it was probably more of a slow clap, like and it just built momentum. But I think here's the key. One person started clapping, and then the people around that one person instantaneously, because if one person starts clapping, other people start clapping, right? But then this built like a wave. So then the next layer of people started clapping. Next thing you know, half of the room's clapping. Now, what what is the problem then at that point? The politicians, knowing that everything they do is being watched and scrutinised and talked about on cable news and alternative media nonstop, nonstop, they then have to clap because you don't want to be the only person in the room not clapping when everybody else is because the camera, what's the camera going to do? The camera is going to be zoomed in right on your face. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you see that guy? He didn't clap. What a disrespectful piece of shit. Now, this poor unfortunate soul may know that it's rude to clap at funerals and may not want to clap at a funeral. But unfortunately, knowing the situation of the day and following like the sheep that he is, he has to clap. Because you don't want to be the only one, the odd one out. The one that's going to be slapped on every front page of every newspaper from LA to New York, talked about on every cable news station be passed around on the on the alternative media sites, be smashed on social media. He didn't clap. He didn't clap. He's a son of a bitch. I always knew he was a son of a bitch. He didn't clap. You knew it. You know it would happen. You know it would happen. And then you know what that's like? People in the West, ladies and gentlemen, especially people in America, They used to tell jokes in America back in the 1970s and the 1980s when the Cold War was coming to an end. And you know what those jokes were? That in uh, communist countries and in the Soviet Union, if the leader made a speech, or like North Korea, for example, if the dear leader made a speech and everybody started clapping and you didn't clap, they'd take you out the back and shoot you. And you don't want to be the first person to stop clapping because all the cameras are watching. They're going to find the guy who doesn't clap. Now, think about what I was talking about with the environment that we have created with this hyper intensity around every single tiny little move these people make, looking at a phone. Oh, he looks worried. Not shaking hands, looking at someone sideways, sweating, rocking back and forward in their chair. Think about the magnification that we put on this shit. Think about the pressure that's now, you know, being put on these people to not be the odd one out, to make sure that they're still clapping at the end, to make sure that they're not the only ones clapping. Is it really so different? Sure, in the Soviet Union or North Korea, you'd be dragged out and probably have a bullet you know, in the back of your head, in your brainstem. But what what do we do in the West? We execute you publicly with hashtags. The hashtags going through your abdomen. 
Oh, this guy's a disgrace. He didn't clap long enough. How horrible. He hates everyone. Uh, disrespectful. Look at this guy looking sideways. The digital execution begins. And like I said, I'm no fan of politicians for the most part. I think most of them are, you know, climbers, careerist pigs, to be honest with you. So I don't necessarily have sympathy with them, but I do have sympathy for us and what we've created and what we've become. The hyper-intensity. Hashtag bolt hole. So it's just a little thought I had. Thanks for everyone for sticking around. By the way, guys, if you want to uh, check out the podcast, just look for The Daily Boogie on Podbean or iTunes. I'm going to burn through as much as possible. I want to get to your stuff as quickly as possible. There'll be no effing around today, but we'll kick it off the way we like to with this. Face the Shredder. Time for the Shredder. Speaking of intensity, ladies and gentlemen. How Donald Trump appeals to men secretly insecure about their manhood. That sounds like me. Actually, I am secretly insecure of my manhood. Very insecure. It's very loose. Very loose manhood. From boasting about the size of his penis on national television. When did he do that? (laughs) When did Donald Trump boast about the size of his penis? The hell are these people talking about? (laughs) Oh, you mean like mine's bigger and it works. Ah, I got it. Got it, yeah. Well, I guess that could be boasting about the size of your penis in the alternative universe that is the Washington Post. Releasing records of his high testosterone levels. Well, see, he had to release records of his high testosterone levels because he has high testosterone. Because he's got high T, he has to, you know, he couldn't stop himself. He would have liked to have not released his high T printout. But unfortunately, the high T makes it necessarily so. Someone with low T does not feel the need to release their tea printouts. President Trump's rhetoric and behavior exude machismo. His behavior also seems to have struck a chord with some male voters. Some, just a a couple of million or so. What's the the difference? Only the white men, though. (laughs) Only the white men, apparently. Only the white men with superior testosterone who could force their white women to vote for Donald Trump also, according to Hillary Clinton. See, for example, the, quote, Donald Trump, finally someone with balls t-shirts common at Trump rallies. But our research suggests that Trump is not necessarily attracting male supporters who are as confidently masculine as the president presents himself to be. I like to, I like that. They can't say confidently masculine as the president is. They have to say as the president presents himself to be. We've, we've just gone through the whole the whole shebang of explaining how all the cameras are on all the time and everything is micro-assessed and micro-analyzed. <laughs> no, it's just all an act. He's acting. <laughs> Faithy, thanks for joining us. Black man here, says Steeter bro. Well, welcome. I hope you realise that you've stumbled into some kind of online clan rally, I'm afraid, my friend. I'm afraid. <laughs> this is what this is what MSNBC has told me anyway. It must be true. It must be true. 
I'll tell you what. Uh, these clan people, I, I, I think they're pretty forgiving. I, I think they're pretty nice. So as long as you admit that you struggle with your feelings of masculinity, I'm sure they'll let you stick around and support the president. <laughs> but our research suggests that Trump is not necessarily attracting male supporters who are as confidently masculine as the president presents himself to be. Instead, Trump appears to appeal more to men who are secretly insecure about their manhood, We call this the, quote, fragile masculinity hypothesis. (laughs) The fragile masculinity hypothesis. That sounds scientific, doesn't it? Very proud of the Washington Post for this. What is fragile masculinity, you may ask? I thought that might be a dildo made out of porcelain or something. That would be fragile masculinity to me. That's why we've got to use rubber. Unbreakable. Shit bounces off the floor. Research shows that many men feel pressure to look and behave in stereotypically masculine ways or risk losing their status as, quote, real men. Masculine, I mean, you know, if you're starting to get, if you're starting to get into the area of a manicured beard and a handbag, well, you know. There may be an argument there to say, okay, your status of real man is being removed because real men don't have to carry handbags because they don't have little makeup kits that they need everywhere they go, especially in traffic. Why do you have a handbag, man? It's not a man bag. There is no such thing as a man bag. It's a handbag for men. Quote, unquote, men. Now, that is a roundabout insult. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Masculine expectations are socialized from early childhood and can motivate men to embrace traditional male behaviors while avoiding even the hint of femininity. This unforgiving standard of maleness makes some men worry that they're falling short, ladies and gentlemen. These men are said to experience fragile masculinity. I like how they say masculine expectations are socialized from early childhood and the entirety of human history. <laughs> like, like it all starts just when you're born. That's it. Uh, do you have any, any, would you say confusion now about why they need to teach five-year-olds about sexuality? Why do you think that might be the case? Again, I'll read from the article. Masculine expectations are socialized from early childhood and can motivate men to embrace traditional male behaviors while avoiding even the hint of femininity. What kind of traditional male behaviors would be a problem? Would you say, you know, defending things, (laughs) being a leader... Standing up to tyranny, for example, would this be a problem? Maybe, maybe no, 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 toxic stuff. That toxic stuff. <laughs> the political process provides a way that fragile men can reaffirm their masculinity by supporting tough politicians and policies. Men can reassure others and themselves of their own male uh, manliness. <laughs> Oh, 
I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, the first politician that comes out and says, if you vote for me, I guarantee your dick will grow, that guy will never get kicked out of office. He will be a senator for the rest of his life. He, they, they will change the they will re, they will change the constitution back to say this guy can be president for as long as he wants. If you vote for me, your dick is going to grow six inches. I'm down. <laughs> Goodbye, fragile masculinity. Hello, oomph. Hello, power. I got the power. <laughs> Men can reassure others and themselves of their own manliness. For example, sociologist Rob Willer. There's your first problem. It's a sociologist. Dima, uh, DM loves YVA says Boogie makes himself laugh. No, it's the shit I'm reading. Trust me. <laughs> this shit is terrible. <laughs> you got to laugh at this stuff. If you take this stuff seriously, you'll end up like a shaking, quivering mess on the floor. Oh, my God. For example, sociologist Rob Willer has shown that men whose sense of masculinity was threatened increased their support for aggressive foreign policy. Wow. So if you feel threatened, in, if you suffer from fragile masculinity, I was going to say ladies and gentlemen, but I'm talking specifically to the gentleman here. Wait, is that is that phobic in some way? Is that is that phobic? I guess it is kind of dinosaur and backward of me, isn't it? You know, I guess if in this modern day, if we think that only men can have fragile masculinity, then we're the problem here. This is actually real, like, this is bigoted hate speech from the Washington Post. They're assuming that only men can suffer from fragile masculinity. Well, I'm, what, what about the men with vaginas? How awful. How awful. I, I, I regret reading it now. I, I wish this had have occurred to me earlier. Now I'm promoting the hate speech of the Washington Post, ladies and gentlemen. And other. And other. For example, sociologist Rob Willer has shown that men whose sense of masculinity was threatened by increasing their support for aggressive foreign policy. We wanted to see whether fragile masculinity was associated with how Americans vote. And specifically whether it was associated with greater support for Trump in the 2016 general election and for Republicans in the 2018 midterm elections. So I guess that fragile masculinity elected Donald Trump in 2016, but for some reason the Republicans lost the House in 2018. I guess because they voted for Donald Trump, they were no longer fragile, and therefore they were now strong men, which means that they voted for the Democrats? Something? Is that how it works? I'm not sure. I'm trying to keep up. Don't blame I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to keep up. Measuring fragile masculinity poses a challenge, <laughs> says the Washington Post. I would have thought inventing a term like fragile masculinity poses a challenge, but apparently here we are. Here we are. I never thought I'd read such shit in my life. Life's full of surprises, isn't it? Utterly fantastic. We could not simply do a poll of men. Someone in the chat was asking about how did they did they do a poll? No, you couldn't simply do a poll of men, says the Washington Post, who might not honestly answer questions about their deepest insecurities. Why am I not surprised? Instead, we relied on who? Da 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 Google Trends. Yes, your friends down at Google. 
your friends down at Google who literally had a meeting after the election of Donald Trump to sit around together in a big hall, remember? And the bosses of Google were all saying, we feel very sad, we feel very threatened, people are scared, we're all afraid, we feel very fragile. The boffins and the big swinging dicks down at Google now, two years on, feel the need to lecture you about your fragile masculinity. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, my God. The election of Donald Trump, it was so horrifying and scary. I feel threatened. Me, a Google employee? Yes, of course. Everybody's threatened. Everyone's afraid. Everyone's scared. So how did Donald Trump get elected? Because all of the men are scared. (laughs) (laughs) The whole country's scared shitless by the sounds of it. Shaking in their boots. As Seth Stevens' Dave Otterwitz has argued, people are often at their least guarded when they seek answers from the internet. Researchers have already used Google search patterns to estimate levels of racial prejudice in different parts of the country. Uh Uh-oh. We sought to do the same with fragile masculinity. We began by selecting a set of search topics that we believe might be especially common among men concerned about living up to the ideals of manhood. Listen to, listen to this. <laughs> we selected a set of search topics that we believed might be especially common among men concerned about living up to the ideals of manhood. They're, they're just picking out random shit. They're picking out random phrases and going, yeah, this is something that a fragile male would look for on the internet. <laughs> so they're, they're acting like it's scientific, but the actual premise of the story itself is not scientific at all. They're just, they're just plucking terms out of the sky. Oh, okay. Well, this is what a fragile man would be searching for. How the hell would you know? How have you done? Re- have you done the research into the terms that the fragile men are looking for? No, we've just randomly picked some terms that we think fragile men are looking for. Therefore, science, baby. Can you feel the science? So what would uh, fragile masculinity prone individuals, male or female, let's be tolerant, what would they be looking for on the internet, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Erectile dysfunction, hair loss, how to get girls, penis enlargement, penis size, steroids, testosterone. Oh, no. The juices, they're fucked too. The juices are fragile men as well. Oh, no. We were talking about high tea earlier on. Terrible. And Viagra. With the exception of how to get girls, these are Google topics rather than individual search terms. For example, the topic erectile dysfunction includes searches for erectile dysfunction, ED, and impotence. To validate this list of topics, we asked a sample of 300 men on Amazon's Mechanical Turk platform. Good source, bro. Good source. The, the, the 300 men on the Mechanical Turk platform. Wow. Imagine the kind of science we're going to be extracting from this orifice. Whether they have ever had or ever would search for them online, we found that scoring high on a questionnaire measuring masculine gender role discrepancy stress... (laughs) I can't believe people get paid for this shit. I'm, I'm definitely in the wrong business. I could do this all day. Well... I'm going to submit an article that's discussing fragile masculinity by 
asking Google how often these search words come up, then going to 300 men on an Amazon site and asking them to describe masculine gender role discrepancy stress. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Concern that they aren't as manly as their male friends was strongly associated with interest in these search topics. Although these men were not a representative sample of American men, their responses suggest that these search terms are a valid way to capture fragile masculinity. Well, it just suggests. Excellent work here by the Washington Post. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks for that, ladies and gentlemen. Washington Post. How Donald Trump appeals to men secretly insecure about their manhood and the fantastic effort they put into coming up with the fragile masculinity hypothesis. Their words, not mine. Ladies and gentlemen, that one. face the shredder. Okay, let's break from one thing straight into another thing. It's time for this. Oh, it just gets better every time we do it, doesn't it? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, just because you're a lemon doesn't mean you have to be sour. Let's rock and roll. Sour lemon. So, can we talk about, I don't know who's in control, your control room and my control room, but if we had the... Yours. The, we got the who's in control? Show, brother. So, what we've, you got? Got, we've got the brother of the president. Who you call him, brother? I got to tell you, mm-hmm. I'm just being honest. The Obamas are really classy folks. Ah, oh, so classy. Because I don't know if I could be so, so if, we put, if we can put that up. Yep. Um, it's hard for them to not want to look at us the whole time. Yeah. No, no, no. So the Obamas, what did you see that you want people to be reminded of? I want to say that I don't think I would shake hands with them. I don't know. I would just, nope, couldn't do it. I'm not that big a person. I would hope that I would be, but I don't, uh, I can't fake the funk, as they say. I'm not saying the Obamas did that, but. I can't fake the funk. See, now, instead of being pilloried for not shaking someone's hand or looking at someone sideways, see, there is no right, there is no right answer. There is no right thing to do. Like, even now, so you, if you look at somebody sideways, if you shift uneasily in your seat, if you smile at an inappropriate time, if you look, you know, you look around at the wrong time, your face is going to be blown up on social media. You're going to be everywhere. You're going to be called all the names under the sun. Disrespectful, heartless, horrible pig. But you you would think that just smiling politely and shaking hands with somebody, I'm pretty safe. I'm pretty safe with that. Nope. <laughs> Not according to Don Lemon. In Don Lemon's world, you actually get criticized for smiling politely and shaking somebody's hand. It's incredible. Look at just sometimes you've just got to step back. Look how insane everything is. Like you can see it, can't you? Everything is fucking insane. Like, okay, I don't I don't agree that all of the I don't think all these people should have cameras in their faces and every tiny little move that they make be analyzed. I mean, come on, let's be let's be real here. But of all things. 
for Don Lemon to get upset about? <laughs> Shaking somebody's hand at a funeral? What's wrong with this guy? This is one very, very sick individual. Let's carry on. Let's carry on. He doesn't have to be sour just because he's a lemon. I want Don to be better. Unlike the lemon, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want Donald to be bitter. I want Don to be better. Ah, uh, did you see that? There, there they go, right there. Oh, I don't think it's about faking the funk. I yeah. think it's about faking showing respect for something bigger than them. Uh, Why the would they do it when he doesn't? But I understand oh, what you're saying. On. That's not the measure. No, that's not. But <laughs> they, they can they show, what are you talking about, Chris? They show respect for the office. Yes. The way they conducted themselves yes. in office. No scandal. There yes. was no trash. There what? was no affair. What? Uh, that's a very common Don Lemon trick, isn't it? To say, well, no, that's not the reason. But anyway, and then he just carries on because, like, so he can just he can slam you down with an idiotic point, and then you don't get a right of reply. He does that all the time on every single show. Someone will come on and say, "But Don, the moon isn't made of cheese," and he'll say, "Well, look, I think everybody agrees that the moon is made of cheese." But putting that to one side. And then he just carries on with his next point, but he's not getting he's not getting away with it with Chris Cuomo. Like, who would have thought? Bravo! Round of applause, Chris Cuomo. Look at Chris Cuomo going into bat for sanity. That in of itself is insane. Chris Cuomo, the guy who criticised people on Twitter because they didn't want their twelve year old girl seeing a penis in the change room, is now the sane one. Isn't that fucking horrifying? Like, isn't that insane? That the guy who did that is the sane one. <laughs> like, what level is Don on then? Holy shit, man. Holy snap and duck shit, Batman. We have a serious problem here. Chris Cuomo is normal compared to this guy. Incredible. But did he say, did he just say there was no scandal? No, like, the Obama administration, no scandals. And that got me thinking, oh, okay. I went to ABC. Go to the White House five now years ago. Serious day of damage control, facing tough questions and harsh criticism on three different controversies. President Obama and his team fought back on all fronts yesterday. And ABC's John. Remember, Don Lemon wouldn't shake Donald Trump's hand because Barack Obama is so classy. Because there were no scandals in the Barack Obama White House. Let's damage control on IRS and Benghazi. No scandal. No scandal here, bro. All the action. Good morning, John. Good morning, George. That's right. The president has been on on fire, under fire from all fronts, including from some of his own allies who say he has been too passive in responding to all this. But now the president is firing back. Oh, he's the president firing back. was unsparing in his criticism of the. See, this is this isn't this a, a, a fun little coincidence? Listen, just look at the different way these are presented. I didn't even expect this. I just watched like the first ten seconds of it before, and it's called you know. Barack Obama scandals, and it's on ABC News. I'm like, yeah, that'll do. But listen to the way, the fawning. Ah, President Obama hit back. He was, he was, you know, he was on fire with his criticism of the IRS. What would happen if Donald Trump came out and criticized the IRS? They'd be saying, he's destroying the fucking foundation of democracy as we know it. He's attacking our institutions. He's tearing down the very foundations of our republic, attacking the good people at the IRS, the good people who go in every single day, who do their jobs, who take an oath, who love their country and salute the damn flag. This small-handed orange man, pig in chief, pig in a blanket. 
is going in there and attacking the good people of the IRS. When it's Barack Obama, it's like, Barack Obama was on fire today, attacking, attacking his critics in the IRS. Took no prisoners. He's a beast. He's a machine. IRS for targeting conservative Tea Party groups. It's inexcusable, and Americans are right to be angry about it, and I am angry about it. And he promised immediate action, starting with the resignation of the acting IRS commissioner. I'll do everything in my power to make sure nothing like this happens again. It's funny, a couple of weeks ago, I said the thing about um, the IRS was targeting uh, libertarian and, you know, conservative groups, and a Democrat in the chat said, no, never happened. Like, here's here's Barack Obama saying, this absolutely must stop. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what's real or fake anymore? Really, who knows? Let's carry on. By holding the responsible parties accountable. Although that doesn't appear to be immediate. In his letter of resignation, Deputy Commissioner Stephen Miller suggested that he would not be leaving right away, writing, quote, as I wrap up my time at the IRS, I will be focused on an orderly transition. With Congress now Uh, poised to hold multiple investigations on the issue, Speaker of the House John Boehner says he wants more than resignations. Now, my question isn't about who's going to resign. My question is, who's going to jail over this scandal? Late Wednesday, the White House also gave in to Republican demands to release 100 pages of emails detailing the -the behind-the-scenes conversations in the days after the terrorist attack in Benghazi. The emails confirm what ABC News first reported. The so-called talking points on the attack underwent 12 revisions, deleting references to the terror threat in Benghazi after the State Department raised objections. Senior administration officials, however, said it was Deputy CIA Director Mike Morell who actually made the changes by hand. The emails show that all 12 versions of the talking points said the attack was, quote, spontaneously inspired by protests in Cairo. Never one single, um, never one single scandal ever plagued the Obama White House. Let's carry on with Sal Lemon. If it wants to play. And go. Come on now. There he goes. Amen. They show the ultimate respect for the office. They do not have to show respect for someone who does not respect them. Someone who tweets out pictures of them behind oh. bars of the president's back. You don't have to show respect for, for that kind of person. Here, let me show you what I would have done. You don't have to. Let me show you, I want to show you something. You let me show you what to. I would have done. Okay, come here. Come here, go Dom. Ahead. Come here, Dom. Try oh, to shake poor my Don. Hand. Oh, yeah, so cool. So hot. You don't have to show respect for somebody who never showed respect to you and tweeting things at you. Why? Who would ever do that? President Obama didn't pull any punches speaking out against Trump on Jimmy Kimmel. What we haven't seen before, I think, is somebody questioning the integrity of elections and the will of the people. He got laughs during the mean tweets segment. President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States. So classy. Exclamation point. So classy. At real Donald Trump. <laughs> well, at real Donald Trump. At least I will go down as a president. Oh, my God. He's so classy. He would never get involved in any kind of shit throwing on Twitter or anything like that. He's just so presidential. You don't have to respect somebody who doesn't respect you. 
It's just so classy. Let's, let's carry on with Don. The handshake that never was, that never should You're have been. You're petty and small. I'm not petty and small. You're That's petty real, and brother. small. That's real. And, and, and real it petty shows and you small. this is not... <laughs> about ideology this is about the way someone conducts himself if you constantly ah. called me names and were you were rude to me mm-hmm. and you yep. did petty why should i have to show you respect I'm at sending- all good question this is about the way someone conducts themselves i like where don is going with this every year people think i'm like really wasted on tv i'm actually not tell the truth i mean I'm having a good time. I'd say how many people who have, you know, blacked out, drunk, or passed out ever done anything like that? Usually, very few. I don't think one goes along with the other. It's about how you conduct yourself, ladies and gentlemen. It's my first shot. Where did that come from? You want one? No, not yet. I do. Cheers, everybody. Have another one, Don. Ralphing specifically, which really means vomiting or throwing up. Getting drunk tonight. Too much alcohol. Lit. Uh, He said, "Oh, I have a weak stomach for things like spaghetti and ketchup." He says this, and I'm quoting, we're loud, obnoxious drunks with prolific pukers among us. It's about how you conduct yourself. His own words. I got confetti in my drink. Why do you have to to respect someone who conducts themselves so poorly? I agree with Doc. There are serious questions tonight about the veracity of Brett Kavanaugh's claims about drinking under oath. And I have to say, Kathy, I have to say, nice rack. I didn't know you had all of that. Thank you. Up there. Still uh, you for that. <laughs> how much he drank one. and how regularly I knew and I, I always liked have, uh, had blackouts from his best. drinking. The last time I was at Tipitina was uh, when I was in college, and I ended up going home with uh, not a lot of clothes on. It's bad how you conduct yourself. you set yourself up to be a choir boy, there had damn well better be evidence that you are a choir boy. You, you better be able to sing. Better be able. To... <laughs> uh, it's awesome. I found love. You did. I you did found love. love on a two-way street. Hey everyone, it's the jazz band, the Shotgun Jazz Band. And lost <laughs> it on a lonely. Oh, how is I'm that? Sorry. You. <clears throat> I mean, you had a shot of tequila. That was not water. There you go. It's about how you conduct yourself. I just want to take an opportunity here, if I can, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is actually a very special day. Angie Kate says, I'm here, just busy. Still haven't seen him laugh, Boogie, says Stefan Sears. So he's sexually aggressive, (laughs) says the gypsy. (laughs) Fantastic stuff. Well, you know, there was never a scandal in the Obama White House. Didn't happen. Barack Obama is so classy. Classy. He would never engage in some kind of, you know, grenade throwing over Twitter and doing silly things like that. Never, never, never. And the whole reason that you don't shake Donald Trump's hand is because it's about how you conduct yourself. And you've got to carry yourself a certain way in order to get respect. And... Lemon knows that better than anyone. Oh, I nearly forgot his outro music. Ladies and gentlemen, that was...
I'm still not sick of that. <laughs> Just letting you know. So it is a, a very special day today because one of our bumpers in the chat, ladies and gentlemen, one of our boogie boosters has turned into a very old, ugly man. The great Stefan Sears, ladies and gentlemen. Happy birthday to Stefan Sears. It is officially his birthday, his special day. I want to say congratulations to you, comrade, on your heroic escape from the birth canal all of those years ago. And, you know, you may not be particularly good looking. (laughs) You may not be well endowed. You may not be particularly intelligent. (laughs) But you do, above all things, have a heart of gold, sir. And everybody who knows you is blessed by it. And we appreciate you. And we want to wish you a happy birthday. And I wanted to wish you a happy birthday in the truly traditional, let's say, Northern American Canadian form. Let's say this will be the traditional birthday greeting for you in Oregon, perhaps in five years. A traditional Oregonian birthday wish for our friend Stefan Sears in the future. Happy birthday, mate. From Oregon with love. There's the drums. I think I think we should watch it again because the production value, ladies and gentlemen, is so good. Brilliant production value. Stefan Sears. Happy birthday, says Sid Soaked. These are Oregonians. A special Oregonian birthday for our friend Stefan Sears, ladies and gentlemen. Utterly fantastic. <laughs> All right, here's a here's a fun clip. We're getting into the dregs now. From the depths of the net, here's a fun clip. Uh, well, actually, maybe we'll do an article first. Let's break it up a bit. Happy birthday to you. Oh, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Seven Sears. Happy birthday. This is an Australian story, but I think it speaks to like a wider trend in media. I'll, I'll race through it very quickly. An ABC, an ABC journalist, which stands for Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is the taxpayer-funded, you know, uh, media arm here in Australia. And you can imagine, oh, Christy, Christy, thanks for joining us. Good to see you. You can imagine what that entails: the taxpayer-funded media 
organization here in Australia. It, 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 it is it is like your experience, but far worse. <laughs> An ABC journalist was kicked out of Parliament for bearing too much skin. Now, I just want to lay this out straight away from the get-go, off the top. I don't think that's too much skin. If anything, it's not enough. But that's just my personal preference. It's just my personal preference. I mean, journalists could sit there completely naked for... I I don't even care. I really do not care about stuff like that. You know, that that level of modesty really, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, like, it's different. I'll explain to you why. ABC journalist Patricia Carvelis has been removed from Question Time in Parliament for allegedly bearing too much skin. No, no, it wasn't allegedly. She was removed for bearing too much skin. Now, you can debate about how, you know, how too much, how much is too much, but she was removed for bearing too much skin. Carvelis tweeted about her disappointment moments after the incident. Now, that's key. Think about it. Moments after she was kicked out, she tweeted about it, sharing a photo of the short sleeve top she was wearing. I have just been kicked out of QT, which is question time, because you can allegedly see too much skin, she said. When asked how she reacted to being removed from Question Time, the RN Drive host said, I politely put my case that these are short sleeves. Well, they're not really sleeves. I mean, you know, if it's halfway over your shoulder, it's not really a sleeve at that point, isn't it? No such thing as too much, (laughs) says Natri. I left when the attendant insisted. I think the rule is out of step with contemporary standards. Oh, so, right? Listen to that quote again. I think the rule is out of step with contemporary standards. See, I was talking about this earlier with a guy I know. And he said, like, how ridiculous is it that this woman got kicked out of question time as a journalist for too much skin when she was showing her arms? And I said, well, look, there's something about this. So... What if there's a dress code? Now, even though, like, you know, I'm not one for, like, uh, you know, I'm not one for, like, rigorous enforcement of dress codes and things like that. I'm really not that much of a stiff, honestly. But in a place like, you know, the government building and parliament, and if there is, like, some kind of traditional dress code in that setting, then I'm probably more likely to be for it just because of the situation and just because of the environment that you're in. And, hey, you know what? If you want to sit in the House of Parliament where people are talking about running the country and stuff, if they have a dress code on journalists, then so be it, right? So um, I tend to support that. But then here's the thing. Now, if she got kicked out for showing too much skin and there is a dress code, there's only two possibilities. One... She honestly didn't know about it and was surprised when she was kicked out. Or two, she did know about it and wasn't surprised that she was kicked out. Now, see, here's the thing. Weigh up your cynicism, ladies and gentlemen. Someone said church. Now, my cynicism for like the, you know, what we would call perhaps, you know, these kinds of uh, less important traditions and norms, my cynicism for that aspect of our society now, these days, is unfortunately far outweighed by my cynicism for shitty journalism. 
Now, what a beautiful opportunity for a journalist on the Australian taxpayer-funded media company's tip to go into a situation where she knows there is a dress code, deliberately break it, minutes later take a selfie and say, oh, my God, they're kicking me out. This is sexist. Right? Because in a lot of ways, this is what hack journalism, this is what journalism has become. Making the news about yourself, oftentimes for clicks. If you think about it. So my cynicism for shitty journalism far outweighs my cynicism for, you know, perhaps strange and outdated uh, norms and traditions around dress codes when people are in parliament, for example. For example. And I think it's pretty fair. And, you know, we, my friend and I were discussing, why would this be the case? Why, why would journalists now, supposedly serious journalists, deliberately break a dress code in order to take a selfie so it can get on Twitter and so their name can be hashtagged and everybody can say, this is ridiculous, you poor woman, this is sexist, this is horrible. Why would somebody who wants to be taken seriously as a journalist do that? Why would they? And then you think about what what this system is. What's it become? The very top people in the communications courses and the and the media courses do not work at these places. The very top of the crop get picked up by private industry, ladies and gentlemen, and by politicians themselves to become PR reps or communications experts, or get involved in, in the writing process from the other end of the scale, right? And what you're left with is like the dregs, like the, the very top of the median, you know, like the very average ones are remaining. And <clears throat> oftentimes in these media organisations, which unfortunately, just by virtue of them being, you know, uh, having to come through the university system in the last 40 or 50 years, I'm afraid a, a, a fair a fair representation, I would say, would be somewhere upwards of 75 to 80% rabid far left in terms of ideology. So you work at one of these media organisations. You know you can't take the pick of the bunch because the pick of the bunch are being taken by the think tanks and the politicians to write press releases to send to your newsroom so your subpar journalists can rewrite the press release. So you call up your old university professor who is still teaching at the university that you used to go to and you are a far lefty and you call him up and say, I need an intern, who have you got? And he says, great news, editor. We've got this fantastic talent here. They are further left than you, my friend. You're going to absolutely love them. Send them in. Send me that intern. And the system repeats itself. The funny thing is, if you, if you, uh, if you come at it, you see the conservatives, right? So the, 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 the pick of the bunch get picked up by the PR companies and the politicians. The average dregs are the ones that are left and they get picked up by the media companies, the media companies who the bosses themselves went to the universities under the same professors who then contact the professors to get the pick of the dregs sent to them as interns. Now, these pick of the dregs might still be getting Bs and Cs even though they are D and E students. Why? Because they appropriately stroke the ego of their professor in their work. 
one of the very first one of the very first things you should do if you're a writing student in a university setting is identify the bias and ideology of your professor and appeal to that at all costs even if it makes you sick even if you vomit over your essay before you submit it because stroking because remember the represent the marks that you get in these courses in these communications courses in these writing courses in these PR courses are not a direct representation of your talent or skill they are a direct representation of how the professor feels about what you do that's the way it works so if you're a, if you happen to be a conservative in one of these places, but you might be far more talented than the dregs that are left behind that are now getting picked up by the media companies thanks to their bosses going to the same university which is hiring from the university to get interns, you're plumb out of luck. You're lucky to get a D, even if you submit work that is thoroughly accurate and thoroughly well written and thoroughly well presented. The person next to you might have spelling mistakes and they'll get a higher mark than you because they appropriately stroke the ego of the professor at the time. So you're lucky to get a D. So what happens to you? You can't work in the PR because you don't have the A pluses and you can't work in the shitty media companies because you don't have the Bs and the Cs. You're stuck there with a D. Well, you might end up working for a website where you earn half as much. You do twice as much work and you earn half as much. You're ridiculed constantly because you don't have a proper job. You work on a blog or a website or something of that nature. And then guess what happens? People start coming to you and reading what you're putting out because you're better than the crappy media kids, than the crappy kids who get hired by the crappy bosses out of the crappy universities. You're better than them. And so then you'll spend, you know, the next five years or so writing on a media blog or something. You start attracting audiences. You start to build a following because people want to know what you have to say rather than the crappy kids at the media companies. And then Twitter bans you. <laughs> so that's my, my, my advice would be just do whatever you have to do to get the good mark. Say whatever you got to say. Or you can take the other route. Whichever comes first. All right, let's go to our clip. Someone said, playing the victim? Question mark? I don't know. Who are you asking? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get kicked out of Parliament for showing too much skin and then bitch about it on Twitter, if that's what you're wondering. I'm not that much of a victim. Maybe, hopefully one day. One day I too shall be removed from Parliament for showing too much skin in open defiance of a dress code, then later claiming that it's sexist to remove me for, you know, disobeying the dress code that I'm fully aware of for for Twitter shares. But who knows? Maybe I'm just not smart enough. Maybe I'm just not smart enough. All right, so this is a clip. Uh, short man and tall woman discussing how hard it is to date, which I thought was interesting. The way that we were positioned in, like, cuddling with one another, and the high schoolers, mm -hmm. someone came up and said, that's backwards. He's supposed to be doing that to you. And I think that was just like... My name is Isidro Lopez. I'm 32. I am 5'2", and I'm currently single. I'm Samantha. I'm 31 years old. I'm 6'4", and recently single. How do I feel about my height? Well, right now I'm okay with it, but when I was younger, I really, really hated it. There's times even now that I wish I was taller. I mean, everybody wants to be taller. I pretty much like my height. There definitely are some days where 
it's a little bit more difficult, but in general, I have women that always come up to me complimenting me on my heights, complete strangers. I'm six foot four and it's a struggle for online dating. I think. Now I've got to say, I'm six five. I have never had a stranger come up and compliment me on my height. <laughs> never. Are there any tall people in the crowd? Are there any tall people in the chat? Have you ever think about it? I want serious answers. Have you had a, ever had a random stranger come up to you for no reason and compliment you on your height? Not mention your height. Not say something like, "Oh my god, you're so tall." That's not a compliment. It has to be a compliment. They have to come up to you and say your height is fantastic or something like that. Wow. You're so tall. It's wonderful. Like it has to be a compliment. Now, why would you take a compliment on your height? I'm not sure. I would never take a compliment on my height. It's like, it's kind of like, well, I didn't really have a choice. You know what I mean? I didn't really do anything. Maybe if I was a better basketball player, you could compliment me on being a good basketball player, which would be aided by the fact that I'm, you know, tall enough to be a basketball player. But I suck at basketball. So you can't compliment me on that. It's like, (laughs) who gets compliments for being tall? (laughs) But the way she just throws it out there, it's like, oh, no, I get compliments all the time about my height. It's like, I don't think you do. I don't think you do. Either, either you're just flat out lying or you don't really know what a compliment is. Like if somebody comes up to you in the supermarket and says, excuse me, could you please reach the top shelf and get that can of tomatoes down for me? That's not necessarily a compliment. That's something that happens to me. Usually a little old lady, a sweet little old lady will come up and oh, so hello, lad, how are you? Oh, my God, how are you going, darlings? Nice to see you. Yes, yes. Would you mind reaching up there and getting getting the toilet paper down you see i like i like that particular brand but unfortunately i can't reach it or i might do a hip and i say oh, of course no problem is there anything else no no that'll do everything else is within reaching distance okay enjoy have a nice day that's not a compliment though more like a mission thank you i worked hard to get that way <laughs> I hung upside down by my ankles for 25 years to get this tall. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. I'm very pleased. I'm very proud of it. A lot of guys just don't even want to go there. Like, nope, she's taller than me. I won't even think about it. Now, she seems like a very nice lady, but she's saying that the reason that a lot of guys don't want to go out with her is because she's too tall. I think a lot of guys just don't even want to go there. Like, nope, she's taller than me. I won't even think about it. Okay. Okay. I have the same struggle with online. If I put a five, nobody wants to like, you know, swipe right. (laughs) So I have a little difficult with that. I usually don't get matches. And when I do get a match, like I like, like message them back and they just disappear me. (laughs) I get a lot more of the weird like fetishy literally getting asked if I can send pictures of my feet because I'm so tall obviously I have big feet you know uh, uh, literally been asked like I'll pay you money <laughs> like okay not that broke this month uh, I think in person my personality comes out more uh, and in real life it I just have a wonderful personality 
it's like, oh, that's not that much of a difference. I don't really notice it as much. In real life, I have a little trouble as well. What I try to do is um, try to put my personality at the same level. So, like, if I'm short... Like, look, look, they're trying to... They try to be nice to this guy and they, they literally do a shot where it's like halfway from the face up, like he can't peer over a steering wheel in a car or something. Like, I, I'm the asshole though, right? <clears throat> like, obviously, I'm the asshole here for pointing out, like, well, I don't know if it's the height. Sorry. Maybe that's what they tell you. I don't know. So, like, on the one hand, you know, she has trouble finding dates because they say that she's too tall. On the other hand, she gets a lot of people in her inbox that have a fetish for tall women. <laughs> like, what, what? what's the middle ground that you're looking for here? But then this poor guy, they, they're like, don't worry. We're not, I bet you they said to him, we're not going to make fun of your height. This is about the difficulty for short people to find dates. And he was like, oh, okay, I trust you. And then they zoom the camera right in there and make him look like Wilson from Home Improvement. <laughs> it's horrible. These people are vipers. I'm going to try to, you know, beat it with my personality. But I do, like, think that it affects me. And I think girls do actually, like, oh, this feel will help. more physically attracted to, like, a taller guy. I definitely think that, that shorter men have it harder when it comes to dating. Even though I feel like people perceive me as more dominant or masculine. <laughs> Laurie says he probably walks up to her and says, gee, your hair smells great. <laughs> um, I think that's easy for me to overcome with how I dress. And if you're trying to like overcome your masculinity, yeah. you come off as a douchebag. You just have uh, to be yourself. I, didn't we overcome your masculinity? I thought we're all fragile masculinity now. Isn't that, isn't that what we just read in the Washington Post article to start the show? Donner asks, is he a jockey? No, but he probably should be. He probably should be. But, like, isn't that the thing now? Isn't this the going trend? Fragile masculinity? What What the hell? What the hell is she talking about? Men who try to overcome their masculinity. How do you overcome your masculinity? I thought we weren't male enough. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. Well, you know, men tend to see me as somewhat masculine and dominant. So that explains the way I dress. What? What? I don't know. I, I can't even keep up anymore. We're either not masculine enough or we're trying to overcome how masculine we are, which is too masculine. A common struggle that I have with just dating in general is... It's always it's always these weird single women on videos on YouTube too that are telling us about masculinity. Isn't that the darndest thing? It used to, once upon a time it used to be like war heroes in a bar over a drink that would tell you about masculinity. Like I took six bullets in the ass and I still carried my buddies across the line. There was Japs jumping out of every tree. I tells you. They blew my arms and my legs off. I used my tongue to crawl back to base. And I said, arm me up. I'm going to get back out there. Hey, why don't you bring us another drink, sweet cheeks? Put a straw in the bottle because I can't lift it because I got no arms. <laughs> so it used to be those guys who talked to you about what masculinity is. Now it's all of these weird single women on YouTube that try to tell you what masculinity is. Maybe that's the first problem. Maybe instead of getting angry at the feminists, you know, they're like, 
oh, feminists are turning males into women. Like maybe the first thing we should say is, well, why the fuck are we watching them on YouTube then? And yes, I'm fully aware of the irony of watching it on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> is guys assume that because I'm so tall that I'm like rough and tough. It definitely gets a little bit frustrating. Walking me home at the end of the night, like if we're in the neighborhood, is like, oh, you're fine, you're six foot four. You might be right, but I still want to feel like a lady. I still want, you know, like them to make help me feel protected. Feel like a lady. And I don't get that a lot. And I feel like I probably overcompensate with how girly I talk or dress um, to really make it like I'm, I'm feminine. With me, it's totally the opposite. Where they see me, they see like, oh, he's like five foot. He's well, what is he gonna do? He's gonna protect me. How tall was Muggsy Bogues? Like five one, five two, something like that. Or Mookie Blaylock? I forget which one was short. I think Muggsy Bogues was shorter. I think Muggsy was like five one or five two. I bet he scored fucking tons of punani wherever he went. Little Muggsy. I mean, he could dunk. <laughs> you know. Climb that mountain, says David Johnson. <laughs> I do think height standards um, reinforce gender height. roles. What? Because it's the like. Height standards reinforce gender roles. Here we go. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. When I saw the glasses, I knew. I Why? We hate stereotypes, but unf- like for some reason, the people that say they hate stereotypes all have to wear the same broad-rimmed glasses. Have you ever noticed that? The people that say they hate stereotypes the most all dress the same. Why is that? No, I, I believe in intersectionality and it's our duty to make a better world for everybody. I really think that we need to destroy all the harmful stereotypes about women and about men and about immigrants and, uh, you know, everything, people of colour and capitalism. Like Stereotypes are the things that have to be taken, taken down now. We need to get rid of stereotypes completely. Says the woman that dresses like every other person that says the exact same thing. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not physical embodiment of the woman is the damsel and the man is the breadwinner. I would actually get that comment a lot of, oh, who wears the pants here? Or, uh uh-huh, like, and even in my last relationship, we were the same height, mind you. We were both six foot four, but it was still, nope. Yes, good comment in the chat. Nutty earrings or a nose ring. There's your earrings. This is backward. They look like little hacksaws. I went to a bar with my friend and there was this girl right there and I went to talk to her and like she pushed me, like she physically pushed me. She's like, oh, you're too small for me. Oh and my like, gosh. I was like, oh, okay. It really like affected me. Like I usually don't let things affect me. That's terrible. You know, like it really- That's terrible. All right, we've seen enough of that. I'm gonna burn through. Are you running for president in 2020? Are you running in 2020? Do you plan on running for president in 2020? I've got a lot of work in the Senate. That's not a no. Well, I'm, I'm seriously considering it. I, I'm thinking hard about it. Considering right. And afterwards, you'd take a look at it. Absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking about it. We're seriously thinking about it. I'm not ruling it out. We certainly are looking at it. Well, I've been very straightforward that, that I'm thinking about Democrats running. Democrats running you for 2020. Yeah, think about it. Look, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I would not be honest with you if I didn't say that I'm thinking of running. I am just still um, thinking about this, talking <laughs> to people. Not sure what... <laughs> future will hold in our respect. I promise I'm thinking about it really hard, Elaine. I think-
Do you remember last week we were talking about why politicians fundamentally hate giving absolute answers? See, this is normal. Like they've put it, they've put it all together in a funny little take. But you'd be an idiot if you came out now and said, I'm absolutely going to run or I'm absolutely not going to run because at some time in the future, you'll have to be a liar, right? Well, at least the possibility of being a liar is always there. Like if Joe Biden comes out now and says, I'm absolutely going to run, but then six months from now knows that there's no possible way at all that he could ever win, why would he run? Why would you run if you're going to get completely humiliated? So that's why they're all right now just in a holding pattern saying, well, I'm thinking about it. 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 Because they're waiting for more information. They're waiting to see what happens. They're waiting to see what the uh, political environment will be. And that's why, you know, when, you know, some idiot was talking about uh, Paul Manafort, you know, they asked Donald Trump, is the Manafort, um, is the Manafort pardon off the table? And Trump's like, why would, why would I take it off the table? Why would I take it off the table? I'm not taking anything off the table. And then all the people go, oh, this proves that he's going to pardon Paul Manafort. But every single politician does it. It's just that Donald Trump talks in a very blue-collar language way. So instead of saying, you know, when when asked, are you going to take the Paul Manafort uh, pardon off the table, a, a regular politician like one of these jokers would turn around and say, I tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to comment on an ongoing investigation, but we're going to sit down and analyse all possibilities and present the best possible solution to the electorate. And we respect the investigation process. It's essentially the exact same fucking answer. But all Trump does is go, I'm not going to take it off the table. Why would I take it off the table? And then they still can't figure out what his appeal is because that's how dumb they are. But that's all these people are doing here, you know, being asked, are you going to run for president in 2020? Well, I'm thinking about it. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Definitely thinking about it. Same thing. Are you running for president in 2020? Are you running in 2020? Do you plan on running for president in 2020? I've got a lot of work in the Senate. That's not a no. Well, I'm, I'm seriously considering it. I, I'm thinking hard about it. Considering right. And afterwards, you take a look at it. Absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. Well, I'm thinking about it. We're seriously thinking about it. I'm not ruling it out. We certainly are looking at it. Well, I've been very straightforward that, that I'm thinking about running. <laughs> I'm thinking about, yeah. I've been very, that's my favorite one. I've been very straightforward that I've been thinking about running. It's like, bravo, mate. <laughs> I am absolutely concrete and straightforward in my conviction that I am definitely considering it. <laughs> I think about it. Look, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I would not be honest with you if I didn't say that I'm thinking of running. I am just still um, thinking about this, talking to people. Not sure what the future will hold in our respect. I promise I'm thinking about it really hard, Elaine. I think about... I promise you I'm thinking about it really hard. I should run. <laughs> Seriously thinking about how I can best be of service. Tulsi. During the holidays, I'm going to sit back and uh, meet with family, friends. Are you ruling out running for president in 2020 or no, not? No, no, that's another year. Would you be open to it? Sure, I would never close the door. Look, I might. Amy and I made a decision not to rule anything out. In, in due course. Whether or not that uh, has anything to do with me will re- remain to be seen. But do you want to run again? No. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a pause. Well, I, well, I'd like to be president. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she's the only one that doesn't care if everyone knows she's a liar or not. <laughs> Are you thinking about running again? No. No. Of course she is.
Of course she is. All right, one more quick article. Just on the journalists and the selfie culture stuff, then we'll take a very, very short break and then we'll get into your stuff. I'm doing my best here. I'm doing my best. You're going to love this one. Model defends taking Holocaust memorial selfie after backlash. (laughs) Do you want a moment? Do you want a moment to just settle in? Do you want a moment to see? Do you want a moment to contemplate where selfie culture is headed? Like, remember that little speech that we had at the start about if I had a button to destroy every single camera phone on earth, I would absolutely push that button no matter what. Like, yes, every camera phone. You know what? I feel sorry for the kids at the parties these days because you can't get loose at a party anymore. Like, if you're a 16-year-old kid and you're, you know, you're having drinks and you're having a good time and you might be engaged in perhaps some kind of, would you say, illegal substance intake, for example, you can't get loose anymore because at the first at the first moment where you have your pants around your ankles and you're dancing around on a table or something, someone's going to put that shit on YouTube. It must be horrifying for the kids. Like it must be ter- it must be terrible to grow up in this environment. Like at least I was in my early teens when you know when the internet really took off. Like I still had a childhood without it. Just just got in there. I consider myself very lucky because I wouldn't want to be a kid now where everything's getting posted to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, everything. Hashtag laugh out loud. My friend vomited into the fire and then fell into the fire and now he has scars on his ass. Ha 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 ha. Gets half a million views. Your life is ruined. <laughs> like, see, that's why I was saying. <clears throat> it's bad for the politicians. If you missed the start of the show where we were talking about all the cameras at the funeral and how ridiculous that situation is, looking at each other and everything getting monitored for every little slight little indiscretion that may or may not actually fucking exist... It's bad for the politicians, but it's also bad for everybody else. You can't do anything anymore. You can't you can't get loose anymore without somebody taking a camera out and filming you. Like I noticed this trend. If you want a personal story, I'll yeah, this is this is one hundred percent true. Swear, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye kind of styles. Um my family and friends now know, like, don't take a camera out when I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> at family gather, you know how people like to take pictures of their food at restaurants, which I've never fucking understood. Like when the food arrives, I start eating it and I look up from the table. I'm halfway through a steak and I look up from the table and everybody else's plate is still full and they're all on their phones, like talking about the food in front of them instead of fucking eating the shit. I'm like, Hey, you know, it's getting cold here. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just sharing because it's it looks so nice and stuff. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You can Google food images anytime. What are you trying to get famous because you ordered a steak? What the hell is going on here? So now they all know, like, don't you know, if you take a camera out and try and take a picture of the table, if I'm there, don't do it. <laughs> They legit turn around and, like, they legit stand over my shoulder and take a photo of the table so I'm not in the photo. 
because of the personal war that I wage on the, you know, the vapid, vacuous selfie culture that I hate immensely. I mean, imagine if you actually had something um, intelligent to say about the steak. Wouldn't that be more interesting than just taking a fucking picture of it and uploading it? Like, use your brain a bit. Jesuit call me sheep. GDM, thanks for joining us. Seven in a row, lad. Seven in a row. GDM, uh, for those who aren't aware, GDM is a Rangers fan, uh, Rangers fan from Glasgow. Glasgow. And I am a Celtic fan. Um, and so he accuses me of being a Jesuit, even though I'm not a Catholic. <laughs> and I love him dearly. I think he's fantastic. I would never block him. You, you, you guys feel free to block him, um, but I always relish the opportunity to see a Rangers fan come into uh, my chat room, especially when Celtic have won the league title seven years in a row. It's like, keep coming in, baby. Keep on coming. Keep coming. I want you here for season eight. I want you here for season nine. I want you here for season 10. I want you here every time Celtic wins the league from now on, which is going to be a while. So best settle in. Best settle in. Model defends taking Holocaust memorial selfie after backlash. A lingerie model has been branded an embarrassment of a human. That's a little harsh. For a narcissistic holiday selfie she shared on Instagram. Embarrassment of a human. There are all the kids are doing it. There's a lovely young lady there taking her uh, selfie at a concentration camp. (laughs) Look, it's not something I would do. It's definitely not something I would do. But again, the culture is sick. British model Rianne Sugden has defended herself after receiving backlash for snapping a selfie at a Holocaust memorial in Berlin, Germany, during her holiday. Sugden, who describes herself as an international lingerie model, see, now that would have made the picture something. I want to see a picture, I want to see a selfie in the frilly lingerie at the Holocaust Memorial. Now we're talking. Now we can move, now we can move some copy, baby. Now we can get some clicks. You know what I mean? She didn't go far enough. Sure, it was cold there. Who gives a fuck? You're only going to be half naked for a few seconds. Let's do this. Let's do this. Also known as the Memorial to the Murdered Jews of Europe on Monday with the caption ET Phone Home. <laughs> I don't know why does ET have to come into it? It doesn't even make sense. A, that's the worst non sequitur for a selfie I've ever heard in my life. International lingerie model takes selfie at Holocaust Memorial and puts in the caption ET Phone Home. What does that even mean? <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? I guess she is a model. She is a model. The model who said she was on holiday and sightseeing later changed the caption to have only the hashtag Sightseeing Museum Berlin, but social media users didn't appreciate the light-hearted message at a memorial honouring the dead. Imagine having such little respect. This is one of the Twitter users. Imagine having such little respect for the millions of people murdered during the Holocaust that you think this is appropriate. What an embarrassment of a human. That's her, by the way. Well, you know what? She can do whatever she wants, I think. (laughs) Excuse me, do you mind if I take your car and cut your legs off? Why, by all means. Who am I to argue? Would you like to take a selfie next to my severed leg? Of course I would. 
Maybe you should use the hashtag ET phones home. That's a great idea. You can do whatever you want, babe. If you want to document the experience, take a picture of the memorial. You don't have to be in it. I think that is the issue. It becomes self-absorbed at that point. At that point. <laughs> Another follower said, your caption is inappropriate. That's my most hated word in the English language. Inappropriate. I hate it. Inappropriate is inappropriate. Considering your setting, it's weird you don't realise that. Would you take a selfie at a funeral and post it on Instagram? There is a time and a place. If you are at a memorial, it is a time and place for reflection, not selfies. It is disrespectful. Sudden hit back at critics. I'm in love. She, she, I'm in love. She takes selfies at a Holocaust memorial, and then when the critics come in and say, what the hell are you doing? This is sick. You're narcissistic. She attacks them. <laughs> so, Sajid hit, hit back at critics and said other visitors at the memorial have taken pictures in the past. She wrote, <laughs> Everyone's doing it. What are you picking on me for? <laughs> Good night, Angie Kate. Thanks for joining us on YouTube. Listen to this. This is fantastic. I've got no... This is her. I've got no time for this moaning generation. I'm <laughs> I'm on holiday. Sightseeing and took a pic. Under no circumstances is this disrespectful. Fantastic. Utterly fantastic. She hates the moaners. She takes a selfie at the Holocaust Museum... The people on Twitter go ape shit, and she goes, stick it up your ass. I'm on holiday. I'm taking a picture. I've got no time for this moaning generation. Utterly fantastic. Like I said, think I'm in love. Uh, we'll take a short break and be back in five. See you soon. Hello, everybody. This is Chris McDonald. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to listen to our Mac Files broadcast every Monday through Friday night from 930 to 1030 right here on Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook Live. We always have a wide variety of guests that talk about faith, make America great again, the nation, President Trump. We deal with a lot of law enforcement issues, a lot of immigration issues, and issues that are very relevant to the time that we live in. Friday nights, 1130, the one and only James R. joins us for Pirate Radio, one of the liveliest shows late night that you'll ever have. And then Sunday nights, we have uh, Pastor Ronnie Mitchum join us at 8.30 p.m. for our Sunday night faith chat. And be there. We're looking for you. Join us each week. Aloha. James R. here. When I'm not in court defending the boys from the starting block against slander charges. Alleged! Yes, yes. Alleged. I'm hosting Trust and Verify with Boogie Bumper every Sunday night at 1 a.m. on TABshow.com. Join us and all your favorite broadcasters there. Friend and foe alike, join me, Varun Prasad, every week on the Common Discourse Weekly Roundup podcast. You can follow the show on at TCD Tweet on Twitter and Periscope. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, Stream Me, iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. If you like what you hear, or you would like to express your raging discontent, please consider leaving us a review. The Common Discourse, independent political opinion, thought, and analysis for the people, by the people. Do you lie awake at night pondering life's big questions? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? 
How would one do an hour-long sports show without ever actually talking about sport? If yes, we can help you answer 33% of these pressing questions. All you have to do is check out the starting block on TAVshow.com, Periscope, Stream Me, or YouTube, Wednesday mornings at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also download the podcast on iTunes just by searching for The Starting Block in the store or at thestartingblock.podbean.com. Or if you're really desperate for answers, why not check us out on Twitter, at The Starting Block. No K at the end, don't forget to drop that K. Enlightenment is now only a click away. Now that is a freaking awesome I think a lot of it is he's free where they're not. If you are on the side of the politically correct, then you are, it's like you're constrained by the weapon that you're trying to hit somebody else with. Does that make sense? Like you can't, you can't profess the virtues of political correctness and overt sensitivity and not offending people and then come out and do it because you'll be a traitor to your own cause. So if you don't sign up to that politically correct mindset, if you don't fall into the I must not offend crowd, then you're really free. And they're not because they can't attack, they can only attack you by saying how offensive you are. And if it's particularly unpopular at the time to be, you know, uh, politically correct, then guess what? Every single time that you use the only weapon that you can, which is political correctness, you get less popular and the person that you're attacking gets more popular just by the fact that you're attacking them. Because if you're saying that these people are so politically correct, like they, they can't say whatever they want, every time you try to attack the guy, you prove his point. You, you make him stronger. It's like trying to fire nukes into the sun and think you're gonna blow it up. It doesn't work that way. You're just adding to the combustion. It's not going to stop. It's not, it's not going to stop. He's not going to slow down. The way these people approach it, they, they just don't get it. He, he's not going to just suddenly snap out of it. He's not going to start being what you want him to be. It's only going to get faster and harder. But they, they don't see that. They don't understand. So, that, I mean, because that's the bubble. That's the privileged bubble of going straight from college into a, you know, into the media and living in that environment and all of your colleagues agree with you. If you haven't refreshed your drinks, now would be the time. I certainly did.
Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back, yes, welcome back. Thanks to those who stuck around. If you didn't stick around, you won't hear this. Fuck you. (laughs) For those who stuck around during the very short break, thank you very, very much. If you didn't stick around and you left, your mother is a whore. Doesn't matter because you didn't hear it. So it's all good. Mr. Ewan over on YouTube, thanks for joining us. Drinks refreshed, showered, ready for more hilarious convo, Millie. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, thing, shit is about to get crazy, though, I have to say. I have to say. We're going to go to your stuff that you sent through on the Twitter directly after I play like five minutes of this clip. But let me tell you, you have to say this. Kimmy's back. Thanks for joining us again, Kimmy. You've been very quiet, Kimmy. Maybe I haven't been seeing your chat. This, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not aware of this, you need to follow this this show on YouTube because I just found it like two hours ago and I feel like I, I, I nearly didn't do the show tonight. I felt like going back and watching the whole back catalogue. This show is a show of drag queens talking about politics and shit. <laughs> And it's not just drag queens. Like, I'm not talking like I'm not talking like drag queens with political science degrees. I'm talking like the most flamboyant, uh, entrepreneurial, you know, out there drag queens that you could possibly squeeze into a single room. <laughs> and they get there and they talk about social issues and racism and politics. <laughs> this might be the greatest show on YouTube of all time. I'm telling you. After five minutes, you'll see why. You'll uh, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> wait, wait till you see this. It's called Spilling the Tea. So we'll just... <laughs> you've got to follow this stuff. Six foot four drag queen. One of them is actually built like a linebacker. One of them's built like a linebacker. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. I don't want to ruin the surprise. It's going to be so... We're going to have so much fun together. For those who left during the ad break... Like, jokes on them, because we are about to have a heck of a time watching this magnificent show. Makes me feel fragile. Makes me feel my fragile masculinity coming back, says Stoppy Cup and see. <laughs> Let's rock and roll with drag queens talking about shit on television. Spilling the tea. I'm laughing already. Dance, baby, dance. Woo! Looks trendy to me. Party on the patio. Hey, loves, I'm Miss Peppermint, and I'm here with some of my... Miss Peppermint, ladies and gentlemen. ...friends for Billboard Spilling the Tea, and today we're going to talk <laughs> about race and drag. Race dun, 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 and dun, dun, drag. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, Bob, in June, you tweeted that no black queens except for RuPaul have ever 
have over a million followers. And you said that it's it's not the show, <laughs> it's the fandom. First, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I love, <clears throat> I love, 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 love that they have to say, today we're going to talk about race and drag. Like, we couldn't just assume that five drag queens in a room, like, look at all the fucking glitter here. Look at all of the glitter. Can we just assume that drag is going to be a pretty common theme in every conversation? <laughs> or do we have to have it pointed out? Well, today we're going to be talking about the labour shortage in Indochina <laughs> and drag. Today, we're going to be talking about taxation and drag. Today, we're going to be talking about colonialism and the history of oppressed peoples around the world and genocide and drag. Like, let's just let's just let's just assume that drag is always go, it's going to be a very it's it's going to be a constant current from which the rest of the conversation bubbles. Can we just make that assumption? Today we're going to be talking about racism and drag. Okay, what a surprise, Miss Peppermint, ladies, <laughs> Mister Ewan, Mister or Mrs. Ewan, MG Ewan on YouTube says Miss Peppermint needs a life coach to help her get the pounds down. Ah, oh, that's horrible. Are you fat shaming? Are you fat shaming, sir? I say, sir, I don't block. But if I was ever to block, I would. I def. I've definitely be considering blocking. <laughs> If you miss the last segment, then that won't make sense. Would you block this person for fat shaming? Well, I'm definitely... I, I can promise you I'm considering it. <laughs> Mookie Thief, thanks for joining us. So how do we... If you want a good follow, you should follow Mookie Thief. Mookie Thief is... Mookie Thief is in the chat. Put your hand up. Give him, give him a wave, Mookie. Mookie Thief is like my tragic story of Periscope. Because Mookie Thief is a highly intelligent, highly articulate, very interesting person who always comes at things from a really good angle, good arguments, knows his facts. And, like, <clears throat> I go in there when I catch him and there's, like, two or three people in the room. And it's like, no, 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 you need more than this. And he always says to me, Boogie, no, no, I don't care. Two or three people, it doesn't matter. I'm not worried. I'm like, but you're missing out. Like, people are missing out on you. They deserve you. They deserve more of you. Everybody should have a little mookie in their life. So he's fantastic. Check him out. Follow him. He's good stuff. I really like him. All right, let's carry on. Hey, well, you're blushing. Tom asked me once, um, and I think General Eaton was there. I think the three of us were having a conversation. Tom asked me once, um, who is the most underrated person on Periscope? And I said, Mookie Thief. There you go. I said, aside from Tom Chatelet, Mookie Thief. <laughs> Fix that. You know, that I, I don't know that I have, I mean, that I have the answer on how to fix racism. racism. <laughs> I don't know. We, we, have to go, we, have to go back to, we have to go back to the start again. We've got to give this credit. How do you fix racism and drag? Oh, Bo from Hawaii. Thanks for joining us again on YouTube. Hey, loves. I'm Miss Peppermint, and I'm here with some of my fierce, fabulous friends for Billboard Spilling the Tea. And today we're going to talk about <laughs> race and drag. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, Bob, in June, you tweeted that no black queens except for RuPaul have ever 
have over a million followers. And you said that it's it's not the show, it's the fandom. So how do we fix that? You know, that I, I don't know that I have I mean that I have the answer on how to fix Racism. racism. <laughs> I mean, let me I, get my pen. Can you imagine if I was the one, and like if all these people before me, like Gandhi, is that okay? And it's like Gandhi, Bob Bob's the drag queen. the answer. You know, I think that the the here we go. The answer to maybe fixing racism is acknowledging racism. Ah. I, people saying I'm not racist drives me crazy. First of all, and I'm about to get the oh the comment section must get lit the fuck up. <laughs> <clears throat> to be fair, um, this is this is a comment that is both literally true and metaphorically, emphatically true. Drag queens have balls. <laughs> you know what you know what I'm saying here. They have balls in the literal sense, but they also have balls in the theoretical sense that they could just come out and say this shit, and everyone's like, "Oh well, who cares?" You know, it's a drag queen. They can say whatever they want. You know, it's funny. It's whatever. But I mean, you got to have balls to do this as well. Like, see, I I, no, I note the uh, the lady in pink uh, with the spikes on hasn't quite figured out the correct um, etiquette for leg crossing because we can we can see straight up the canyon there, uh, darling. But drag queens do have balls, absolutely. So you'll you'll see what I mean when you hear this. All white people are racist. Period. Point <laughs> blank. End of story. You All cannot be white and not racist. It's not possible because if you are born in this country, in this America, I'm all white Americans. White, I, I don't, white for I don't it. live in Australia, but they racist too. Yes. <laughs> Woo! We didn't miss out. We got hit too. Not only is uh, she solving racism in America. She's solving racism in Australia as well. I fucking love I'm in love with her too. It's going to be a tough choice. It's going to be a tough choice, ladies and gentlemen, between the lingerie model who takes selfies at the Holocaust Memorial and then says, oh, I'm sick of everybody moaning about shit. Like, she's pretty good, but I may just be whisked off my feet by the drag queen, the African-American drag queen built like a linebacker who says, I don't know, I've never been to Australia, but they racist too. <laughs> There's something very appealing about that. Do you want to hear it one more time? <laughs> it was like, Bob, Bob the, the drag, drag queen. queen. Bob the drag queen. I may be in love. I, I, I wish that I could. You know, I think that the, the, the answer to maybe fixing racism is acknowledging racism. I, people saying I'm not racist drives me crazy. First of all, and I'm about to get the, oh, the comment section about to get lit the fuck up. Oh, yeah. All white it, people are racist, period, point blank, end of story. You cannot be white and not racist. It's not possible because awesome. if you are born in this country, in this America, I'm all white Americans. I, I don't I don't live in Australia, but they racist too. If you, <laughs> Look, oh, the stand-up move. If I'm you so are white and you're raised in America, you are raised through TV, through books, through every single thing to have... Well, Bob the Drag Queen, here is your open invitation, Bob. Why don't you come down to Australia and meet yourself an Australian in Australia? Because they racist too. And what say me and you, gorgeous? Maybe we can share a drink and you can tell me about my racism and I'll tell you how beautiful your eyes are. Maybe we can do that. Would you be down? I'd be down. I'd be down. And we'll invite the lingerie model um, 
freaky chick who takes selfies at Holocaust memorials while we're at it. It's gonna have a, we're going to have a fantastic time, the three of us together. Who's telling what could happen? <laughs> Sorry. I just thought that was fantastic. <laughs> One more quick article for you, which should be fun. Considering this ended up being a dating show. I don't know why. I don't know why. <clears throat> but this was a fun one. Let me show you this. Man asked Tinder match to wear black on first date takes her gra- takes her to Gran's funeral. Well, I guess there's free food. Tell her now how nice her hair smells. Yes, I will, Donna. I'll be- I'll make sure of that. Say, darling, 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 darling. Oh my god, darling. His nips will be hard, possibly, possibly. Well, they will be by the end of it, Stefan. Come on. Do you doubt my skills? Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Don't don't be trying to cock block me now with Bob the drag queen. <laughs> Man asked him to match to wear black on first date, takes her to Grand's funeral. The woman thought he was planning a nice romantic day out after seeing the dress code and was completely shocked when they pulled into the crematorium. <laughs> now that's balls. <clears throat> Picking the fir- the perfect first date activity can be tricky. You want to do something fun which will allow you to get to know the person, but something that won't be too awkward if you don't hit it off. <laughs> So when one woman's Tinder date said he had a surprise planned for their first meeting, she was very excited. When he told her to wear a black dress, she thought it was a romantic treat, but it actually turned out to be his nan's funeral. (laughs) I love this guy. I love this man too. So it will be, we'll all wear black. Me, Bob, the drag queen, and the Holocaust selfie taker from Berlin, the three of us will all wear black and we're going to go to one of this guy's relations funerals and the four of us are going to tear the fucking town apart. It will be the most fun night ever. (laughs) He didn't tell her where they were going until they pulled up at the crematorium. (laughs) She felt felt then it was too late to leave. She got pressured. (laughs) Well, I can't leave now. I'll look rude. <laughs> so instead, she th- she sat through the entire service and held his hand when he got upset. Wow. Tell me. Anyway, this guy was like, wear a black dress and I'll surprise you. I was like, ooh, romantic. Chatting in the car, it's going swell until we turn. And I'm like, this is a weird place. Then I see the sign. Oh, God, the sign saying crematorium. No. Pulls in and I'm like, are you out of fuel? <laughs> I love this use of language here. The mortified woman. Oh, well done. I love little half gags thrown in the stories. The mortified woman shared the story with her friend who then shared screen grabs of their bizarre conversation on social media. There's that word again. The woman who was saved as Bridget Jones in the phone. Well, that's, that's an indication of her, you know, potentially drastic and catastrophic previous affairs, I would suggest. Not a big fan of Bridget Jones's diary, but what I understand is uh, she's somewhat of a neurotic woman who is unlucky in love. Is that a fair description? 
Starts by giving her pal the backstory to the bizarre date. She writes, anyway, this guy was like, wear a black dress and I'll surprise you. He goes, nah, just needed someone to come with me to this thing. And thought if I told you, uh, I thought if I told you, you wouldn't come. Fuck off. Actual fuck off. (laughs) Bulls in. And at this point, I'm like, fuck, I've got no way out. So I'm like, fuck it. What's the worst that could happen? It's his nan's funeral. No, says the friend. (laughs) I'm putting this on Twitter. Well, the friend actually told her that she's putting it on Twitter. There's the friend up there in the top corner. Again, the bold frame glasses, ladies and gentlemen. The bold frame glasses are everywhere where this kind of shit goes on. Have you ever noticed that? It's time to convert to contact lenses, ladies. Maybe your luck will change and you'll stop with all of the weird feminism shit and going on dates to crematoriums. Nah, they were all concerned with the dead woman. (laughs) Selfish bastards. He just went, this is Emily. Didn't meet the dad, but the mum was on some kind of medication. She must have been Xanax, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was her mum that was dead. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, he cried and I had to comfort this total stranger as he said hello to family. Turns out his girlfriend had, had left him a few weeks earlier and everyone had been looking forward to meeting her. So he looked for someone to fill the spot. Wrecked. Oh, he's a genius. That is genius stuff. She says things got off to a great start and they were having a good old chat in his car. Ducking people. Damn that autocorrect. Uh, sobbing and I'm like, I can't leave. I'd be a massive ex. You stayed? Imagine calling an Uber to a funeral home. <laughs> Didn't stay for the wake. You stayed for the entire service. Made him take me home after the service. Fuck off. He was holding my hand crying, Rach. I couldn't leave. Aww. Isn't that lovely? It's lovely and tragic and beautiful. It's all things at all times. Utterly fantastic. All right. It's time time for your stuff. Good night, Mo. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to everyone who got in touch. Just take a sip here. Going to have to do this. The best admission tonight will win 100 Boogie Bucks. As you know, uh, Boogie Bucks only exist, they exist in name only and they are not transferable into anything of any value whatsoever. Uh, Greeno, my partner on the starting block, early Wednesday, is it Wednesday morning? I don't even know what day that's on. (laughs) Reeling him in. Mars missions may be all female to avoid astronauts having sex during 1.5 year journey. Now, I thought, this is interesting, so I want to see the article. Unfortunately, Mars missions may be all female. Headline goes viral, but was outdated and misleading. The headline, which implied that future Mars crews may leave out men in order to prevent sex in space, was both a year old and based on a thin premise. I don't care if it's based on a thin premise. I don't care if it's a year old. I only care about if we are sending four, you know, moderately to attractive women up into space to avoid sex you know, on a 1.5-year journey, um, let's make sure there are cameras in that spacecraft. Because guaranteed, 1.5 years, that's a long time. That's a long time. Lesbians in space! Two tickets to Lesbos.
<clears throat> Brad Everly said sex will be had. <laughs> Steph says, imagine you're sad floating around in no gravity situations. Um, this one was sent through by, I can't remember who sent this one through. Let me fix that for you. Is Donald Trump actually donating his presidential salary? I did I did actually ask for no why prevent? Exactly. Let's have sex in space. Like Stormy Daniels will be ruining the day that she didn't get on the right side of Donald Trump. She could have been part of the first space force, ladies and gentlemen. Her next movie could have been Stormy in Space. Imagine the money you'd make. I did ask for no political stuff, but I'll let it slide. Is Donald Trump actually donating his presidential salary? He won't show the public any paperwork that says so. <sighs> the wording of the Constitution is clear. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 7, also known as the Compensation Clause, dictates that the president must receive a fixed annual salary during his time in office, which cannot be changed, eliminated, or refused during the dona- uh, duration of his presidency. The purpose of the clause, wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 73, is to ensure the president's financial independence from outside forces. Good luck, Russia. Russia. Russia is on the hook. The Russians are coming. The Russians are everywhere. Ah! Oh. He wanted to build a hotel in Moscow. He's fucked now. <laughs> he should have. He should have taken the presidential money. That's really all right. They can neither weaken his fortitude by operating on his necessities nor corrupt his integrity by appealing to his, his avarice. Avarice? Aver- hey, mate, avarice. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, you hungry, mate? Here, mate, avarice. He wrote, Donald Trump, of course, has other income sources. The president retains his financial stake in the Trump Organization while he has handed operations over to his two adult sons, continues to profit from their business dealings all around the world. When his private Palm Beach club, Mar-a-Lago, raised its initiation fee to $200,000 in the wake of the election, that money went into Trump's pocket, just as it does every time that tourists and lobbyists alike book rooms at the newly opened Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C., he also has a long history of making public displays of donating said profits, though the evidence of his professed charity has never been as obvious. See, this is the kind of shit like, okay, if that's the problem, then why did Joe Biden's son get installed to run the gas company in the Ukraine after uh, Barack Obama and George Soros removed the previous government that was supportive of Russia in the Ukraine? Like, and, and so Joe Biden, the vice president's son, just gets put in to run the fucking gas company in the Ukraine, the richest gas company in the country. Oh, yeah, he's running it now. Wait, I thought it was bad. I thought, I thought we're against this kind of nepotism. So, you know, it's like, okay, make the case, but don't pretend like the rest of us are fucking goldfish that don't remember that everybody's doing it all the time. I sincerely don't care. Like, you're here trying to tell me that this is some kind, oh, it's a horrible moral issue, it's unethical and stuff. I'm like, they've all been doing it forever. So fuck you. I just don't care. Maybe I should care, but maybe you shouldn't assume that I don't know all of the other stuff. If you're at least honest about it, then maybe I'd have some sympathy. But I just, I sincerely don't care.
if they're all doing it, don't tell me that the one guy that you don't like is wrong for doing it. Sorry. It's either wrong or it's right. So what are the rules? You shat on the rules. You pissed on the rules. You destroyed the rules over the last 30 or 40 years. You in the political class. And now all of a sudden, because there's a guy in there that you don't like, I'm supposed to give a fuck. Sorry. I was screaming at a brick wall for the last 20 years talking about the corruption and shit. None of you wanted to listen. And now now you care? It's like I give you the big middle finger. <laughs> fuck you. Why? Because somebody else is getting somebody else is getting it and you're not? Kiss my ass, mate. Kiss my ass. Uh, this one was sent through by Joe Pappas. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Pig hearts could soon be tested in humans after scientists pass important milestone. Now, I don't have the whole article because I'm not a subscriber to this particular paper. Pig hearts could soon be tested in humans after scientists part, uh, passed an important milestone when transplanting the organs into primates. In 2000, <clears throat> 2000 the International Society for Heart and Lung Transportation, Ishlit, suggested that human trials should be considered once 60% of primates could live for three months. That's a, that's a little short, isn't it? Three months. Three months, that's it. Chief says, every politician goes out hell of a lot richer. DJT is the only one that will go out poorer. You're probably right. Again, that's another reason why I sincerely don't care about these people and their little piddling, pissy little complaints. It's like, I'm I'm sorry, you had your chance. Now it's like, well, (laughs) sorry, don't give a fuck. Other people have done far worse and you didn't say a single thing. And now I'm supposed to care because you don't like the guy. Sorry, I'm going to give you the big, here's here's my argument. It's just a big middle finger, and I'm just going to laugh at you and how stupid you are. Sorry. Don't like it? Shit in your hat. Previous studies have only achieved up to 57 days survival. 57, so close to 60. So the new research is the first to meet the criteria set out by the Ishlit and represents a major step in the clinical use of pig hearts in humans. Hmm. Now, you might think that that's a step too far, but I've got good news for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You don't need a pig heart to be implanted in you if you're a human, because in Ohio, (laughs) in Ohio, what say we just cut out the middleman? This one was sent through by Sin Soaked, if it loads eventually. Ohio State gets bacon vending machine on campus. Yes! Yes! We don't need to implant pig hearts. We will just feed pigs constantly to the children until they turn into pork. That's the story. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> we're not going to implant pig hearts. We're going to turn people into pork products by feeding them bacon from vending machines. Yes. Ohio State University students can easily bring home the bacon. Thanks to a new vending machine that popped up before semester's end. Courtesy of the Ohio Pork Council, the vending machine is going hog wild for bacon. Love it. Offering strips and bits for just $1 until December 13. It's a bargain. It's a steal. Located in the Animal Sciences Building at the... (laughs) The Animal Sciences Building. The Science of Bacon. It's salty. It's delicious. Close the fucking book. Case closed. You get an A. What is bacon? It's salty and delicious and available in the hallway. 
Congratulations, Johnson. A plus. You're going to Harvard. Hmm. Located in the Animal Sciences Building at the school's College of Food, Agriculture and Environmental Sciences, profits from the vending machine will benefit the Meat Science Program. According to the Ohio Pork Council, students in the Meat Science Program are also responsible for restocking the machines. The bacon vending machine is a a unique and fun way for the Ohio Pork Council to support Ohio State students and promote the pork industry at the same time said Dave Shoup, the council's president-elect, in a statement provided to Fox News. The porky contents were donated by Hormel, Sugardale and Smithfield. Well done. Well done. So don't fear the, the pork, don't fear the bacon hearts, don't fear the pig hearts, fear the colostomy bag. That would be my message. Best news ever, says Beth. <laughs> Is it crispy? It would have to be crispy. You can't have soft bacon in a vending machine because it would go cold. How's it staying warm all the time? Like, I, I have to have warm bacon. I can't have room temperature bacon. No. No, that's beyond me. No room temperature bacon for me. Thank you very much. Let's close a couple more pages here. Uh, this is another one sent through by Sinsoak. This is Tim Kennedy reading a lovely Christmas story that sounds a lot un- <laughs> sounds a lot like the Die Hard story, believe it or not. Let's rock and he roll. He went to the vault like an old man on crutches, only to find Holly in his filthy crutches. John dropped his gun, put his hands on his head. It seemed he and Holly would soon be dead. But then, (laughs) with a secret gun taped to his back, John shot Hans in a surprise attack. Hans fell out the window, still holding Holly's arm, and slowly, deliberately raised up his arm. The tenacious villain held on by his nails, till John unhooked Holly's watch and said, Happy trails! Barabons flooded like fresh fallen snow as Holly embraced her blood-spouted bow. So Merry Christmas to all. Be kind to one, to one another. And most of all, yippee-ki-yay, mother... Fucker. Uh, Stefan Sears says in the chat, America has pre-cooked refrigeratable bacon ready to eat. No, I'm sorry. Pre-cooked refrigeratable, uh, refrigeratable bacon, my friend, is not ready to eat. It's ready for the trash. You do, you do not pre-cook bacon, put it in the fridge, ready to eat. That that those two those two are you know those two things that you put together they they have no place being together. There is no such thing as refrigeratable, pre-cooked, ready to eat bacon. No, sorry, I don't give a fuck about the science. No way, that is not going anywhere near my mouth. What a horrible, horrible, horrible existence you must live. Well, I just pre-cook my bacon and put it in the fridge and then I eat it whenever. It's like, oh, God. What, are you homeless or something? Jesus Christ, man. Eat it fresh, eat it hot, or don't eat it at all. Put it in the bin. Put it in the trash. This was fucked up, Mike. Uh, This is apparently Los Angeles. I could watch this over and over. Can you see that okay? What the fuck is wrong with it? What the fuck is wrong with you, America? Come on. You used to be cool. I mean, you're eating you're eating cold bacon pre-cooked you're eating cold pre-cooked bacon from the fridge and naked men are getting led around on leashes wearing G-strings. Like what the fuck is going on? 
Don't make me come over there. Like I said, we need you to be strong. We need you to take care of shit. This is not taking care of shit. And what do you what do you do after a nice walk with your owner in a Santa hat on roller skates? Since I send this. What do you do when you take off your mankini? Do you head to the fridge for some pre-cooked bacon? What the fuck is wrong with you? You're a sick country. You have you have very serious problems. Very serious problems. Okay, here's a story. Let's see what Mary Kay sent through. People might stop saying phrases like bringing home the bacon thanks to vegans, says Scholar. Oh, look out. <laughs> look out. <laughs> Over my cold, refrigerated, ready-to-eat body, said Stefan Sears, the birthday boy. Should we find Stefan his, um, his birthday song again? Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Why not? You only turn, what are you, 45 now, mate? You only turn 56 once. Happy 65th birthday, Stefan. Uh, you get to 70 so fast. Stefan was a good man. Can't believe he lived to 85. God, he was good. For those who may have missed the Oregonian happy birthday song, Yeah, I just did the vac- I just did the bacon vending machine. You missed it since oaked. Getting very slow YouTube here. Very slow YouTube. We're getting there. We have to do it one more time. Here it is. So this is the Oregonian happy birthday tune five years from now, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. You see what I'm dealing with here? <clears throat> Do you see what I'm dealing with here? The drum kit. One more time. One more time. Why not? Let's rock and roll. Come on, man. Sing the fucking song, man. So catchy. So catchy. Happy birthday to you. 
Stefan says happy birthday to you. The choreography, ladies and gentlemen. You have to take a moment to marvel at the choreography, don't you? All right, where were we? Oh, that's right. We're not going to be able to say bringing home the bacon anymore because vegans fuck everything they touch. That was my commentary there. That wasn't a part of the article. It's actually, they've actually done studies. Um, if you're vegan, gotta love India. Get it, India, Celeste. Get it, India. Get it? Get it, India? India. Get it, India. Um, if they've actually done studies, like people who um, adhere to a strict diet of veganism, their brains shrink over time. Believe it or not. So you know that meme where people say, oh, vegans are really dumb. Like a, a dear old friend of mine, she's a vegan. And, well, she's not a vegan. She's a vegetarian. She's a vegetarian. She's not a vegan. And um, she was like, I don't really understand what you mean. And I said, like, rather cruelly one day, I'm like, well, that's because you're a vegetarian. You, you need more meat in your diet. And she was like, that's a horrible thing to say. And I'm like, well, it kind of sounds horrible, but here's a study. <laughs> and it was like, vegetarian brains shrink over time because they're not getting enough protein. And she was like, oh, my fucking God. I'm like, told you. <laughs> so I'm like, it's not your fault. She was like, shut up. You're such a dick. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it's science. Come on, you love science. Don't deny science now. Oh, science denier you. Don't be a science denier. (laughs) Sorry. But one scholar is suggesting things might be shifting faster than we think when it comes to meat-related phrases. Where's the beef? I would ask. In a post on academic blog, The Conversation, postdoctoral researcher at Swansea University, Sharina Z. Hamza, writes that while meat has long been considered, quote, the single most important component of any meal, it's become the subject of much socially and politically charged discussion. Oh, okay. So we're supposed to stop eating meat because it's now socially and politically inappropriate, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know what? I just ha- I have that kind of personality type where somebody, if somebody says to me, you must not say this thing, then I, I am compelled to say it. If somebody says to me, you must not eat this thing because of the social and political consequences, then I'm like, I must have it. I'm sorry. If you hadn't have said anything, then I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have eaten the steak. If you had not have made a big point about how eating meat is now a socially and politically awkward thing to do... I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone out and bought a fucking pig. I wouldn't have gone out and bought a whole cow to just lump onto the grill. <laughs> Spend 8 days cooking it, just carving off bits, like getting up getting up in the middle of the night. I'm going to have a gas bottle the size of a tanker truck and it's just going to be cooking non-stop for 8 days, just turning slowly. And I'm going to set my alarm for every two hours. And I'm going to go out there and just take the bits off the edge until I eat the whole fucking carcass. And then I'm going to take the bones and put them into like a big pot. And I'm going to make a, like I'm going to make a soup out of the bones. And I'm not even going to throw vegetables. I'm going to get another cow, chop it into bits, and then throw it into the pot to have its cow soup. Because you said it's inappropriate to eat the cows. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not me. It's, it's not me. It's you. 
I'm a meatarian, medium rare, please. Oh, I go rare. I'm rare. I want actual blood dripping out of my mouth. I want to look like a savage at the table. Probably why I don't want people taking photos of me when we're eating dinner. Because of all the blood on my shirt. $40 for corned beef? What the hell, man? It's highway robbery. She continues, given the friction often reflects on real world events and societal issues, I can tell I hate this woman already. (laughs) I can tell I hate this woman already. Sorry. Listen to this shit. Given that friction often reflects on real world events and societal issues, it may very well be that down the line, powerful meat metaphors are eschewed. Oh, God. Just, just give us some candy and maybe she'll leave, would you? Darling, darling, just give us some twizzles. Maybe she'll fuck off and go to the next house. Like, knock on your, knock on your door at six, and, 6 o'clock at night when you're sitting down, just before you're about to sit down to a nice big pot roast. Hello, hello. Yes, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, the societal effects of eating meat. Oh, oh yeah, yep. You've got your knife and your fork in your hand. You're ready to rock. You know, given the friction that reflects on real-world events and societal issues, it may very well be that down the line, powerful meat metaphors are askewed. And you, just, you just slowly close the door. You either slowly close the door or you're like, Ma, get my gun! Get my shotgun! The increased awareness of vegan issues will filter through our consciousness to produce new modes of expression. (laughs) What's the increased awareness? What's a vegan issue? What the fuck is a vegan issue besides not eating animal products? Is there any other issue? Like what else? What, do the vegans want like tax reform or something? She says vegan issues like there's a multitude. Like the vegans just have a whole bunch of issues. Like, no, you know, you know, the language, may, the metaphors will be askewed in the future. You know, like you can just see a picture. You can just picture her talking to Don Lemon, can't you? Do you want to see the Don? This okay. Here's Don Lemon interviewing a vegan. You know, Don, there are many dangerous stereotypes out there about veganism, and I think it's my role as a communicator to, you know, help educate society about some of the issues that vegans are facing in everyday life. Well, that sounds incredibly interesting. By the way, Donald Trump's a racist. Yes, that's true, Don. So, you know, people like people like to pigeonhole us vegans as just being people that don't eat meat products, but really. Over the last 10 or 15 years, it's been incredibly exciting. Veganism has actually... Over the last 10 or 15 years, veganism has actually progressed into new areas of awareness, and we are now starting to, uh, you know, get involved in other areas of wider society and culture and the economy, and because we feel that our voices need to be heard, Don. We vegans have a lot of issues, and we need to talk about the issues. Okay, so what's a vegan issue then? Well, we're going to put a big tax on meat. 
Great. Just another socialist. Some especially popular references to carnivorism. <laughs> My God. What the fuck is wrong with these people? Carnivorism. Carnivorism. That Hamza thinks aren't long for this world. Killing two birds with one stone. That's going to go. That's, that's out of here. As well as bringing home the bacon, your goose is cooked and chopped liver. Well, nobody likes liver, really, if they can have a steak. Nobody really cooks goose, really, unless they shoot them, which is a very, very small amount of people. Bringing home the bacon, well, I'm sorry, if, you, if you're planning on outlawing bacon, darling, um, you know, it's, you're, you're going to be pushing shit uphill. I'm sorry, you're going to be rowing without a paddle. See how I'm using metaphors to fight against metaphor attack? You see what I did there? I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him hate bacon. (laughs) Killing two birds with one stone. The famous animal welfare organisation, Peter. That's one way of putting it. The famous animal welfare organisation, Peter. Another way would be saying the absolute batshit crazy animal welfare organisation that even Marxists who dye their hair and go on naked runs through the city to protest against the patriarchy are embarrassed by. That would be another way of putting Peter. Just putting that out there. Has been advocating for more animal-friendly idioms because they're insane for years. It especially encourages teachers not to use such expressions around students because they normalise abuse and can potentially contribute to the epidemic of youth violence toward animals. See, I love how uh, organisations like Peter talk about normalisation of abuse, which is exactly why I like to normalise how crazy they are. Like, I'm normalising your crazy. So everybody knows that it's real and it's true and it's normal. It is normal to think of you as crazy now, thanks to people like me. You're welcome. You're welcome. I believe in normalisation. Absolutely. Mm. Peter is fucking insane. Emily Blunt and Lynn Manuel Miranda Cook with Inner Garten. I don't, I don't know what this is. It's going to be some Peter people talking about changing the language, I assume. So this is this very nice thin layer of vegetable oil that we've been heating in the oven at about 425 and you want it kind of smoking. It should hurt your eyes a bit when you bring it out. <laughs> as long as you don't spill it. <laughs> exactly. And then we're going to get these into the oil pretty quickly. Oh, so that so it's really hot and s- yes. sizzly. Oh, sizzly, how fabulous. Yeah. Hello, I smell potatoes. Uh-oh. <laughs> Lin-Manuel's here. Making contact here. with oil. <laughs> hi. Hi, hello. Oh, I'm hi. so glad you're here. You're coming for the dangerous bit. Oh, for- See, don't you don't you think the vegans are adorable? They're trying to take ownership of the potatoes. It's like no, 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 no. Vegans, vegans, potatoes belong to us, the meat eaters. That's why we talk about meat and potatoes. You know that expression. You know that idiom. You know how you're trying to change language and say, "Oh, we've got to get rid of two birds with one stone and taking home the bacon." Meat and potatoes belongs to us. Sorry. <laughs> you lose again. Oh, you lose. You know, we're vegans. We're going to own the potatoes. Fuck no. We own the potatoes. 
The potatoes go next to the meat. It's the meat and the potatoes. I might even rub my meat all over the potatoes just so they taste extra meaty. How do, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Come at me. Come at me, Peter. I know you're lacking in protein and you couldn't you couldn't knock me off my axis even if you tried. That's fine. Come at me. <laughs> I know you can't handle too much sunlight because you don't get enough vitamins and minerals in your diet. That's fine. The meat and potatoes, baby. Meat and potatoes. School limits number of condiments students can have. Oh, good. Good. Nobody needs mayonnaise on the table. School limits school limits number of condiments students can have. Long Island, New York. Where else? Where else but New York? Maybe LA. No, in LA they would have banned the plastic cups that the fucking the condiments are in already. They there would be no condiments. If you want uh if you want sauce in LA, you have to like put your head under a nozzle, fill your mouth up and then dip the Frankfurt you know, you have to dip the wiener into your mouth, take it out, swallow the sauce and then eat the wiener. Because you can't put the sauce into the plastic cup anymore. Got to ban the plastic cups. Why do we have to ban the plastic cups? Because people put plastic straws in them. That's the source of the problem, really, if you think about it. I want to see the video. Show me the video. Okay, here we go. No limits on condoms, but condiments, absolutely. Oh, come on, where's my video? Come on, action news. Where's the action? Look at the head, look at the banner here. Action action news. Where's the fucking action here? I can't even get a clip to play. Action my ass. This must be vegan action where it's just a blank screen because everybody's passed out because they haven't had enough protein. Come on, show me the action. Give me the action. I want to see the action. I want to go where the action Racing is. Here we go. Thing on my mind. And with GoDaddy, I'm making my ideas real. With GoDaddy, you okay, can get a website to sell online. And it will look good. I made my own way. Now it's time to make yours. Just like it should. Oh, my God. Here we go. Another news. I guess it was a boy. Okay. Big talkers now on Long Island. There's a bit of a condiment crackdown causing quite a stir. When it comes to ketchup, mustard, mayo... There's now a limit on how much school kids can get with their lunches. Oh, you fascist Nazi fucks. One to two packets per child depending on the meal they purchase. Why? The superintendent says there's, quote, little or no nutritional value. Oh, you fascist pigs. I thought, what the fuck is going on in America? I'm See, this shit triggers me. This is the kind of shit that triggers me. I don't give a fuck about, you know, idiots marching in the streets. I don't care about riots. Actually, I quite enjoy riots because I need a new TV. So if you if you hear about a riot, let me know. I need I need to liberate a TV from a store somewhere. Just putting that out there. But that shit doesn't bother me at all. But shit like this triggers me. What the fuck is going on? I thought I thought America was like the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're stepping in. We're stepping in. The kids are having too much ketchup. Fucking what's wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with these people? You know what? If I ever have kids, I don't have any yet. If my kid wants to sit there and drown his French fries in ketchup, I'll be like, okay, whatever. 
You have as much ketchup as you want, kiddo. If you want to have a bucket of ketchup with a single French fry floating in the middle of it, be my guest. Pour it over your head. I don't care. Oh, there's no nutritional value in ketchup. That's They're not eating it for nutritional value, you fucking Nazi. They're eating it because it tastes fucking good and it's fun to put on food. It's fun to put on food. Drench the ketchup all over that shit. They're kids. What the hell is wrong with you? God, these people. You know, you know people that want to ban ketchup in school. Like, you know, you know the kind of person that wants to limit the amount of ketchup that a kid can have on their French fries. This is the kind of person that was a bedwetter late into their thirties. They were a virgin at least until their late twenties, and then when they weren't a virgin, it didn't really count. You know, they didn't really get it in there properly, right? They're one of these kids. These were the kinds of kids that were bullied at school. They were picked on. They were nerdy. They were weak. They didn't stand up for themselves. And so now when they're older, like in their midlife stage, they now want to exact revenge onto children. This is this is exactly the kind of personality we're dealing with here. I'm not even fucking joking. I'm being 100% straight up and down with you. This is the kind of person that wants to limit how many packets of ketchup children can have at lunch. It is exactly that kind of person. The kind of kid who was picked on, the kind of kid who didn't get ketchup at lunch, you know, because when they were at lunch, the other kids would take their ketchup and now they're like, you wanted to take my ketchup. Now I'm a 45-year-old short-sighted male who's balding incredibly quickly. I have a pot belly and I wet the bed, but you know what? I'm going to take your ketchup now. Now who's in control? Now who gets all the ketchup? And you know that this person is like laying on a, you know, a blow-up mattress in a single-bedroom apartment in the city, in the shitty part of the city. They could easily afford a better place, but they don't buy it, you know, because they're really tight. And so they're on this blow-up mattress in that one, you know, single-bedroom shitty part of the city, and as soon as they get home from their job of, like, telling kids how much ketchup they can have, all of the ketchup is in their bedroom. Like all of the ketchup that should have gone to the children is now at this guy's apartment. And he strips down naked and empties all of the ketchup onto like the blow up mattress and then slides around in it. I have all the ketchup now. You can't you can't take the ketchup. I have I decide who has all the ketchup now. And he's been waiting like forty years to do it he rubs himself with ketchup all over. And like the next day he walks in, he's like, we need to take more ketchup off the children because it has no nutritional value. Here, take it to this address. Take the ketchup to this address right now. (laughs) He gets home and there's just fucking barrels of ketchup on his fucking doorstep. Dunks his head in it. Oh, the ketchup rubs it on his nipples and shit late at night. This, This is the kind of person we're dealing with here. These people should not be anywhere near the school system. I'm telling you. Fact. State mandate to regulate sugar and sodium. So to crack down, the schools also got rid of those pump dispensers for last year. They switched to the packets, which, of course, now they are controlling. So what do the parents have to say about the condiment quota? I don't see people abusing ketchup. Maybe it's a gateway condiment. I don't know. But 
I don't think so. You're taking their rights away. My daughter, for instance, she puts ketchup all over her chicken, so to get her to eat her chicken, she's got to have the ketchup. Good on you, darling. So there is an option to BYO. The kids can pack extra in their lunch if they'd like more than one or two packs. (laughs) See, that loophole there, if if I'm involved in that kind of situation, I would tell my kid... Like okay, take all of the school bag, take all of the books out of your bag, and he'd go, "Daddy, what are you talking about?" I'm like, "Shut up, son. Trust me. Take all of the books out of your bag. Take all of the pencils and you know pens out of your bag. Take everything out of your bag. Folders, books, gym, gym gear, whatever. It's all coming out. And in its place, we will place a keg, a keg of ketchup." And every single class, you are going to say to your teacher, I'm sorry, teacher, I didn't bring my book today. And you may have to sit outside the classroom at that point, but that's okay because your moment will come. And then you'll go from class to class to class. You won't be able to do gym because you didn't bring your gym clothes because you couldn't fit them in the bag because of the the keg of ketchup that we are putting in your bag. And then, son, then... You will march into the cafeteria. You will go to the table in the middle of the room. You will take your backpack off and you will slam it down on the table. You will open the backpack. You will rip down the backpack to reveal a keg of ketchup. At which point, son, you will pierce the keg of ketchup and ketchup will start flowing all over the floor and all of the children shall race up to you and hold their french fries under the ketchup and you will then stand on top of the table next to the keg and say, you cannot take away our condiments. I am liberating this school in the name of ketchup and fun and children and you, sir, and you will point to the principal at this point, you, sir, are a fucking Nazi. Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. And the kids will be so full of salt and sodium of sugar from the ketchup, they will absolutely start a revolution and it'll be like a Lord of the Flies situation. And you'll be a hero. You'll be a hero for the rest of time. You're welcome, son. You're welcome. See, I'd be a great father, don't you think? All right. United Nations considers test ban on evolution warping gene drives. This comes from Pagey, the lovely Pagey. MIT Tech Review. United Nations considers a test ban on evolution-warping gene drives. Debate over a new idea for stopping malaria is pitting some environmental groups against Bill Gates. What, Bill Gates, the known uh, eugenicist? Did you guys know that Bill Gates was a eugenicist? The billionaire Bill Gates wants to end malaria and uh, 90% of human life on Earth. Just, Just throwing that in there. Particularly energised about gene drives, a technology that could wipe out the mosquitoes that spread the disease. Gates calls the new approach a breakthrough, but some environmental groups say the gene drives are too dangerous to ever use. Yeah, because the problem with a gene drive is if you try to genetically engineer um, a particular gene out of a species, what happens is the new species, instead of just uh, reproducing that particular trait, it can come up with new traits and it actually wipes out like... You know, because I forget how to how to put it. 
it's like an A and a B, and then it's like B into B, and then so eventually you change the whole species of animal into this new genetically modified thing, and it's fucking creepy as. Like, it's not a good idea because you can't control, like, because once you uh, start fucking with the genes of various species, they then come up, like, they, they make the gaps, them, they fill in the gaps themselves, so to speak. And there's always unintended uh, consequences with this shit. It is absolutely insane. Like, I don't want anybody to get malaria, but you know what? I really don't want rich, creepy guys who probably want to ban ketchup coming up with, you know, gene technology for mosquitoes. Like, who knows what's going to come of that? In a letter circulated today, scientists funded by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and others are raising the alarm over what they say is an attempt to use a United Nations biodiversity meeting this week in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, to introduce a global ban on field tests of technology. At issue is a draft resolution by diplomats updating the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, which, if adopted, would call on governments to refrain from any release of organisms containing engineered gene drives, even as parts of experiments. What a horror. See, this is the thing. We have this phony... um, We do. We have this phony safety blanket around us, and we're like, oh, if the government bans it, it will never happen. (laughs) Do Do you want to consider that for a moment? Oh, the government banned this technology, so I guess we're safe. The government banned murder, too. The government bans a lot of shit that still happens. Has anyone noticed? Oh, but Boogie, we're talking about high-end science here. We're talking about high-end science. You couldn't possibly run a scientific uh, operation without anyone from the government noticing. Oh, really? 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 What about all those meth labs? You know, all those meth labs that are going on in basements? Those guys don't even have degrees. And they're able to evade the government with all the burners and the beakers and the chemicals and the mixing and the timing. What do you think people with millions of dollars can fucking do? It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And that's a, that's a very serious issue. Stefan Sears, uh, another one from Craigslist. We're wrapping up here. A mobile brothel. Now we're talking. <laughs> Look at it, though. <laughs> Would you want to have sex in this thing? <laughs> 1970-something Chrysler Motorhome. I bought this former mobile brothel from one of the oldest pimps in Nevada. Oh, you got to love those. What, what's a word for someone from Nevada? The Nevadians? Nevadans and the Walks, BE from the UK. Thanks for joining us again. BE Earth Reporter. I mean, what? I bought this former mobile brothel from one of the oldest pimps in Nevada. I believe it's the one I was conceived and born in. Oh, what a story. My mother found it for me a few years ago while volunteering for the Humane Society in Vegas. I bought it right away for $10,000 because it's kind of sentimental to us and my father was on an aeronautical engineer turned Navy SEAL firefighter and CIA spy who worked for the Richard Nixon himself. Fantastic. Yes. 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 (laughs) Love it. Needless to say... 
Uh, he didn't have much time for dating, so he would visit my mum on his rare time off in this mobile brothel that she worked in while he she saved up my, the money for college. Anyways, my mum and I hope to restore it to its former glory days and get her and it back on the road. But after applying for permits, we were denied for a massive crab infestation and mould issues. It starts and runs well, steers straight and is good in gas. I'd like to get around 10k for it as is. Clean title in hand. Thanks. P.S. Dad, if you're reading this, please email me as I would love to meet you Sunday. Fantastic. I love people that do these things. There are just creative people out there that just... They're trying to make the world a better place by doing dumb shit on thing on sites like Craigslist. You know what I mean? Someone just had five minutes to spare and they saw that photo and they thought, you know what? I'm going to make people happy. And they come up with this little story and they put the photo up and it's like, you know, they're just giving us a little bit of brightness, a little bit of comedy in our lives for no reason. Like there's no reward. You're not going to, that's not the kind of thing that you would do to have people stand in front of you and clap and say, oh my God, that's so wonderful. Thank you. You just do it and you send it off and you you smile and go, huh, somebody's going to laugh at that one day. And that's good shit. Clean title, but dirty crabs. Steel Panther Basis drops out of tour to enter sex rehab. <sighs> I've heard um, this might be an old wives' tale, but apparently um, sex rehab is where you get laid the most. Apparently, that's what I heard. Don't forget the dead pimp who won a seat in the house in Nirvana. Yes, of course, yeah. Uh, was he a pimp, though? He was a brothel owner. The Bunny Ranch is pretty famous, isn't it? I've, I've heard of the Bunny Ranch, even as an Australian. I think that's one of like the most famous brothels. And yeah, he got elected, the dead guy. To be fair, though, there was a Democrat in Texas who got elected to a state seat, even though he was sitting in a prison cell. So, you know, once again, I refer back to my previous comment. What the fuck is wrong with you, America? What are you doing? We can't wait for him to get back on the road with us after he learns how to have better sex. Ah, okay. Not less, just better. Lexi Fox, the bassist in Hair Metal Revivalists. Steel Panther. That's a fantastic description. Hair Metal Revivalists. (laughs) I love creative writing. Has dropped out of the band's upcoming US tour after being admitted to sex rehab. An official statement from the band reads, I didn't even know they were a real band. An official statement from the band. I thought it was like a Spinal Tap, Steel Panther. California rock and party legends Steel Panther have survived a career of living a decadent lifestyle surrounded by loud music, fast cars, and beautiful fast cars and beautiful women. How horrible! Ah, oh, the empathy. I feel so sorry for these guys. That lifestyle of debauchery and proclivity towards random sexual encounters has finally caught up with the band's bassist Lexi Fox. He's volunteered. Uh, he's voluntarily checked himself into an undisclosed sex rehab. Oh, don't worry. They'll know when he's there because he's going to walk into the sex rehab and walk up to the first woman he sees, probably the nurse, and say, hey, did you know I'm Lexi Fox from Steel Panther? Want to get down on this? Of course that's what he's going to do. The band's doorman, Spider, a friend of over 30 years has been recruited as a stand-in bassist for their ongoing tour dates. Now's my time. Now's my time to shine. The doorman has been waiting dormant for 30 years. Three fucking decades. Now he gets one tour. I bet you he ends up releasing a solo album or a tell-all book. An expose. My life as a doorman. 
poor bastard. Steel, Tan- Steel Panther continue their tour in Cleveland tomorrow and will play through to December 10 in Cincinnati. Thank you for that one, Steph. Maybe I can take his place, but I'm not wearing spandex. Insert. Uh, Stefan didn't watch this. He doesn't know what it's about. It's only a minute 50. We can watch it. What, what was that? Hang on. What was the song? It's low budget, but it's fucking rad. Tell you what, could have had a good life together, you and me. Real good life. We didn't want it, Ennis. And now we got this. Broke back fucking mountain. That's all we fucking got. And I hope you fucking know it if you don't know any of the other shit. God damn it. Everything's built on broke back mountain, can't you see? Okay, I love the dick. I'll admit it, you know I do. <laughs> this is very you low budget. dangle it in front of me like a carrot, like a big, juicy, wet carrot. Oh, thank you, Dawn. And you tease me with it, and you slap me on the face with it, like you know I want, I want it. I wish I knew how to quit you. Well, they quit me. Why don't you? Why don't you quit me, Jack? You're the one who dumb me. I once got asked, this is a true story, I once got asked, have you ever seen Brokeback Mountain? And I said, of course not. And the person asking me said, what, are you homophobic or something? I said, no, I just hate cowboy movies. <laughs> Should have seen the look on their face. They didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Name me this way. I don't even like dick until I met you. I was on a football team and everything. You were? Yeah, it was a center. That seems appropriate. Just get away from me. Can't leave me alone. Get the fuck off me. You should do. You're gonna rile me up. Yeah, right? Come here. Get the fuck off me. Stop it. Stop fucking with me. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, Jack. Stop it, Jack. You get the fuck off me. Stop it. Stop it. Jack, stop it. You love it. Stop it, Jack. You love it. Stop it. You love it. Stop it, Jack. Stop it. Oh, no, I can't. Stop it. Oh, condom mints. I can't. Stop. Don't do any more, Jack. I just came. <laughs> could, could possibly be the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Thank you, Stefan. I appreciate that. You're in the running for the 100 boogie bucks. Vegetables are racist. Singing vegetable cartoon. Here we go. This is what this, this ought to be good. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Singing Christian vegetable cartoon deemed racist by college kids. <laughs> I just I just love higher education. I love the direction the world's going, don't you? Yeah. A popular Christian cartoon about singing vegetables has been deemed racist and dangerous. You know what? I'm looking forward. You, you know, do you know how uh, people tend to get worried about everything being racist now. Like, oh, they're saying everything's racist, everything's racist, everything's racist. I'm actually actively trying to accelerate that process. I want everything to be racist. Do you know why? Logic. Because if everything's racist, then nothing is racist. The point where we get the, at the very, the very exact moment in time when we get to, as a civilization, where we agree that everything is always racist all the time, nobody will ever be able to talk about something being racist again. 
I think we're closer to that than we are to saying that nothing is racist. Do you know what I mean? So once upon a time, we would try to argue, that's not racist, that's not racist, that's not racist, and we would try to claw back these things and say, we would try to argue, it's not racist, it's not racist, it's not racist. We should actually be doing the opposite. We should actually be saying, yes, that's racist, and don't forget about this, that's racist too, and that's racist too, and that's racist too, and everything is racist. And once everything is racist, nobody gives a fuck about racism anymore. Because everybody just wakes up every single day accepting the reality that everything that they see, hear, touch or smell is racist all the time. And then it's like, well, okay, now what? Done. <laughs> then everyone's going to wake up and, you know, rub their eyes like, like Groundhog Day the day after Groundhog Day, you know, and it's going to be a different day. It'll be a new dawn. Rainbows will be coming out of everybody's eyes. All of a sudden, nobody gives a fuck about racism every, anymore because everybody understands that everything is racist anyway. So what's the fucking difference? I think it's the only solution. You know, I, I, it really annoys me when conservatives say, we need to fight back against people saying that everything's racist. I'm like, no, we need to convince everybody that everything is always racist and then they have no argument left. Then they have nowhere to go. <laughs> On the plus side, you know, those of us who are sane and rational, present company, of course. On the plus side, when we get to that point where everything is racist, then you, you we're going to be like the heroes. Oh, my God. <laughs> These people were talking about everything being racist 20 years ago. We will become the social justice warriors, brothers and sisters, comrades. We will become the social justice warriors. Somebody will look back on this periscope 20 years from now and go, this Australian got it. He knew that everything was already racist all the time. He's the ultimate social justice warrior. Of course, they'll take it out of context. They won't listen to anything else. But that doesn't matter. Popular Christian cartoon about singing vegetables has been deemed racist and dangerous last week by a group of Cal State San Marcos, Marcos, San Marcos, students during their annual whiteness forum. Annual. Every year we have a whiteness forum. Wow. I can't wait for next year's whiteness forum. What do you think they're going to talk about? Probably racism. Oh, sounds good. I love new material. According to a report from the College Fixed published Monday, Veggie Tales was created in 1993 for evangelical children. Those damn racists. Apparently, a lot of black evangelicals don't count anymore. They don't count. And depicts anthropomorphic fruits and vegetables, reenacting Bible stories and singing silly songs. Its main characters are Larry the Cucumber, which is very sexual, so it's also sexist, and Bob the Tomato, who kind of looks like a breast. And they are supported by a cast of other produce. But there is nothing silly about the allegations leveled against the cartoon by the College Gate Forum, which claims the show perpetuates dangerous stereotypes because the villains are seemingly vegetables of colour. Oh, cool. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I have to crack bones in my neck or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> 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 
As reported by the College Fix, the two-hour event was part of the Communications 454 class entitled Communication of Whiteness. According to... we, ne- You know who we need? We need Bob the Drag Queen on this. Bob the Drag Queen will set us straight. Pun intended. Did you see what I did there? I'm, I'm incredibly quick with stuff like that. If you're not paying attention, I like I'll only point out like maybe 10% of those little half gags that I throw in, you know, just on the fly. Bob the drag queen will set us straight. <laughs> if you're not paying attention, it's gone. It's over your head. It's over the horizon. Happens all the time. Stay aware. According to... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not really the case. I just thought that was more funny than just the gag. According to her academic webpage at California State University, San Marcos, the professor, Dr. Dreamer G. Moon. Dr. Dreamer G. Moon. That's her name. Sounds like It sounds like her parents were in, in excess or something, doesn't it? Conducts her research within a critical intercultural human rights framework and focuses on, quote, the varied communicative processes by which relations of domination are constructed, negotiated, reproduced, and resisted with special attention to race and white supremacy. Well, good luck with that, darling. Like I said, Bob the Drag Queen's going to set us straight. Trump National Golf Club maid comes out as undocumented. Ooh. Well, we know where she is. I guess ICE can just whip around there and pick her up right now. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Why is why is this chick still working at the golf course? Shouldn't she be arrested by now? Here we go. Love the music. Don't you love the music? I love the music that they use in these little clips. It's like 60 minutes or something. So tense and scary. A housekeeper at President Donald Trump's uh, National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jersey, was revealed to be an undocumented immigrant in a New York Times report published Thursday. They found one. Well done, New York Times. The New York Times actually found an undocumented migrant. Well done. Well done. Wait, shouldn't they shouldn't they be uh, criticised? Shouldn't the New York Times be criticised for getting an undocumented migrant in trouble? Like, I thought they loved undocumented migrants. Like, don't they love sanctuary cities and shit? So, like, why are they getting this undocumented... Why are they highlighting this undocumented migrant? Isn't that kind of racist or something? Seems a bit unfair, doesn't it, to single out one hard-working person and make her into, like, a news story for your own personal gain? That sounds like something... A, pardon my French. Sounds like something a racist would do. Are you racist, New York Times? Yo, New York Times. You a bigot, bro? Sounds pretty fucking slack, if you ask me. The worker, Victorina Morales, is a 45-year-old Guatemala native... Morales. Guatemala native who says she came to the United States illegally across the southwestern border in 1999. Morales told the paper she used fake documents to obtain a job at the Trump Golf Club in 2013. 
She and another undocumented woman who used to work at the golf club claim that many of the property's workers are similarly undocumented, although they could not specify the number. Well, then I think we need to get Donald Trump up there with ICE and do a raid on his own golf course. And he will say, march these fucking illegals out of here. And then it'll be a beautiful story for the New York Times to write about how they got all of these undocumented workers um, kicked out of the country. The New York Times would happily report on all of the undocumented migrants that they got removed from gainful employment. Don't you think? Ladies and gentlemen, the New York Times, the new patriots, the New York Times. This one ought to be fun. Millie sends this one through. Serial public masturbator, Mr. Bates. Isn't that just so delicious that his name is Mr. Bates? Master Bates. It's like, come on. It couldn't be. It couldn't possibly be. The universe is just a wonderful place sometimes, isn't it, Mr. Bates? Arrested after toilet brush sex act. A serial masturbator was arrested on Friday after exposing himself to women at a New Jersey doctor's office, police said. In the doctor's office? The doctor's office. What are you here for? Zip. (laughs) Check it. Check it out. Brian M. Bates, 47, of Spring Valley, allegedly masturbated in front of women at a Paramus doctor's office while simultaneously using a toilet brush to pleasure himself. Well, maybe he was just trying to have a wash. You know, those under scrotum bits can be pretty hard to get to. A toilet brush, it's, it's harsh, but maybe he's, maybe his, you know, maybe his gooch skin is more akin to an old leather wallet than it is, you know, the natural fibre of, you know, human skin. I'm not sure. Upon police arrival, officers found Bates in the bathroom with the door open while masturbating and simultaneously attempting to penetrate his anus with the handle of the toilet bowl scrubber. This guy is hot. Uh, We are definitely going to invite Mr. Bates on our night out with uh, Rob, the drag queen, uh, the lingerie model who takes selfies at the Holocaust Memorial, myself, and Mr. Bates. That's four now. That's four. That's a hot ticket. Um, If you want to trade in your 100 boogie bucks for a ticket to the night out with the uh, the four of us, then, you know, be my guest. Oh, that's it. That's all of them. That's it. We're at the end. So who wins the $100 boogie bucks? I think, I think, ladies and gentlemen, it has to go to the school limits. The number of condiments students can have. Carrie, Carrie G, KG, you win the 100 Boogie Bucks. Just because it was so much fun imagining what kind of a retarded, intellectually deficient, scared, pathetic human being would want to restrict the amount of ketchup that kids can have at school. The winner of the Boogie Bucks goes to Carrie J. I don't know. They're not there, Kimmy. Where are yours? They're not there. That's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. Maybe send them somewhere else. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. But don't let that... I think I think that's time. I think we'll call time. I think we'll call time. But don't let that, uh, you know, discourage you from future 
interactions. Congratulations, Carrie G. Carrie G. Carrie G, you can, like like I said, you can trade in your 100 boogie bucks for a night out on the town with myself, Rob the Drag Queen, uh, the lingerie model who takes selfies at the Holocaust Museum and the serial masturbator, Mr. Bates. And, you know, Kimmy Jong-un, you can come along too. It'll be fun. Fun for the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will see you next week on the Daily Boogie podcast. If you do want to download, you can do so by looking for the Daily Boogie in Podbean or iTunes. If you would uh, like to follow, please do so on Twitter, at Boogie Bumper. I'll be back on Sunday night with James R., Trust and Verify. I did record a show with um, the lovely Chris Mack. Everybody knows Chris Mack. Uh, I recorded a show with Chris Mack yesterday. I'm not sure when he's going to play it, but um, if you do, if you're interested, I spoke about why uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez is not perhaps as dumb as people think she is, and we get into the fourth dimension of uh, interaction via social media and the, the the game of populism. And we spoke about Macron in France, how populism can be hijacked if you're not careful by the establishment. And it it was a very deep, you know, wide-ranging discussion. So if you want to check that out, I'm not sure when he's going to play it. Mac Granddaddy, as Scott says. But if you want to follow, I think it's at ChrisMac44 and you'll see it. Um, Aside from that, Sunday night, trust and verify. You'll see me there with James R. Thanks to everyone. Sin Soaked, Mo, Donna, Light Shiner, Queen Notifa, Carrie G, the winner of the Boogie Bucks, Stop Incumbency, Cracked a Mirror, Tracy and AK, Laney, Wordsmiter, Celeste, Kim Boyd, Peter Booker, The Lovely Lynn, Scott, Jennifer Briggs, Stefan Sears, The Birthday Boy, Congratulations, Ocean Nathan, Kimmy Jong-un, General Eaton, Ducks Regionus. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational, God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Oh. <laughs>